the other reason that I think we covered in our in our selection of movies is that there's this like basic human kind of yearning for for time travel and it, it like it just appeals to like your heartstrings in a way that it's got to be some kind of instinctual thing where you know I know I've always wanted to go to judgment day <laughs> <laughs> That's not where I was going that got dark <laughs> That got dark Believe really it or quickly. not SF 2000 Welcome to Ballot, uh, the podcast where we talk about slightly less movies now. Uh, I'm joined by my normal co-host, Chris Gear. What's up? And Nate. Hey. And for our time travel episode, we have a special guest, my freshman year roommate, someone who I actually still talk to, which is crazy for a freshman year roommate, uh, Eric Wall. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course. And so we brought you on because you are the only time travel expert that i know (laughs) (laughs) certainly foremost on the pod (laughs) yeah yeah and have had a deep-seated passion for the topic ever since uh you took a honors only course for it at the university (laughs) of delaware um and i uh hanging out with you during that time heard your your ramblings about time travel back then and like barely understood them but i think i'm in a place now where i can conceptualize them a little bit better uh nate is shaking his head vigorously so i don't think he agrees with that i very specifically remember having a conversation about string theory and like the however many different dimensions there were in that particular theory uh delaware homecoming junior year oh god (laughs) after a few too many beers yeah that sounds like something i would talk about (laughs) yeah I've subjected so many people to my musings on time travel over the years. So I, th- I think it was the other way around. I think I like I heard from Zach that you had taken a time travel class and I accosted you. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that checks out. I would have loved to hear how I responded. I'd probably be like, you know, actually string theory, it's, it's a totally different thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just, I'm just going to stop you there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what we did is we picked out... Um, time travel movies in a couple different genres to try and showcase how um, the idea of time travel has been used um, since, when did Terminator come out? Mid-80s? From mid-80s until now. Um, And so the movies we picked for this round were Terminator 2, 12 Monkeys, Primer, About Time, and Tenet. So we wanted to try and get some sort of balance of action, sci-fi, rom-com. Um, I always want that time travel rom-com. <laughs> I mean, there are more than one of them. <laughs> uh, what is it? The uh, the Lake House? Is that one of them that we could mm-hmm. have picked? Yep. Um, that is. And then the Time Traveler's something? Wife. Wife. Also um. featuring Rachel McAdams. <laughs> a, a, a Time Traveler's wife, professionally. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but we just decided it's a great concept that can either be 
you can kind of dip your toe in as a movie and play with time travel concept, or you can go full primer and only care about time travel itself and no other parts of filmmaking and still make a good movie. So, um, excited to talk about that. So I think we should lead this off a little bit with, uh, Eric, you kind of giving us the kind of basic rundown on a few, few time travel, time travel theories that pop up throughout these movies. Uh, yeah, sure. So I can just kind of explain why I'm here. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm really glad that you guys uh, are having me on. Uh, I've been waiting so long for someone <laughs> to ask me my views on time travel. I've been waiting for over a decade for this. Um, so you guys made my, made my week. Um, but I would consider myself, I think you called me an expert. I would consider myself more a time travel enthusiast. Uh, and I've been that way for over a decade now. And, and it all started with, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, when I was Zach's freshman year roommate, where we shared, uh, a 10 by 10 cell together Prison cell, with, yeah. with, with a randomly selected human, like mm-hmm. and that social experiment somehow worked really well. And, and, look, and look at us, look at us now. Worked yeah. for some. You know? Um, but long story short, when I was living in that cell with Zach, I took a, um, my freshman year, I took a time travel class. And uh, little did I know that it would change the trajectory of my life and time itself from taking that class. Um, but um, long story short, it, it was like a, an upper level philosophy class. And I took it kind of as a joke, but I didn't realize that very quickly, like, the professor I, and the other students were not fucking around. Like this was a serious <laughs> class. I remember you signing up and be like, yo, this will be awesome. And yeah. you got back and you're like, I have to do so much work in this <laughs> yeah. class. It might have been one of my hardest classes, like in all of uh, undergrad. And the reason was that time travel was just a vehicle that this professor would use to get into some really deep philosophical concepts. And so, for example, in the first class, before you even get through the syllabus, you have to deal with like the basic premise, which is what is time? You know, time is not an easy concept to even wrap your head around. You know, for example, why does it go in one direction? You know, what, like, if you think of time like space or matter or weight or something, what, why does it go in one direction? I mean, it's just like, that is such a basic concept and we cannot explain that. I've heard um, that it's a flat circle. I'm not sure <laughs> from their authorities on yeah. the matter have asserted. Right. Well, one kind of basic theory is that if, you know, if, if you take the premise of like a big bang, like the universe is expanding, like one theory is like, that's just, that's why time goes in one direction because the universe is expanding in that direction. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's like what the science is behind that, but I mean, it's just such a basic concept that, uh, you can't even get past the first class before you're already into some deep stuff. And then you get to the second class and you're dealing with, you know, what are the implications of traveling between, you know, through time and, you know, and going backwards in time. And then the next thing you're dealing with is, for example, do you live, is it a, is it a one timeline universe that we live in or do we live in a multiverse? And if it's one timeline, does that mean that everything is predetermined and therefore we have no free will? Or do we live in a multiverse where there's like an infinite number of possibilities? So you quickly get into some deep stuff that, you know, this is like class two, class three. 
Yeah, freshman year Eric was not not quite prepared for. <laughs> yeah, and and the professor was, you know, he was a believer. I mean, this guy, he was like one of our. I think he headed the philosophy department. But I mean, this guy believes in time travel. This guy's really serious. Um, but circling back to to you know why I'm here is that in this class we would talk about um, the theories of time travel and then we would cite and and reference you know popular fiction and and movies especially to kind of highlight the different theories. And so that is what got me interested in kind of time uh, travel as like a, as a genre in and of itself uh, within cinema. Yeah. Um, so just as a general question, like when you, when you see a time travel movie executed poorly, is it just like totally take you out and is completely like not watchable or is it, you can kind of laugh along with it? Uh, I get really mad. <laughs> yeah, just uh, yeah, just fits of rage, just fits of uncontrollable rage. But yeah, I mean, long story short, what the, I look for three kind of things when I'm when I'm looking when I'm watching a time travel movie. The, the first one is like the basic theories, and I can walk through the kind mm-hmm. of two main theories, which I think are helpful because you can just basically look at whether this time travel movie subscribes to one theory or the other. You know, that's the basic premise. And, and so I get mad if, if they like sort of do like a hybrid where they're not consistent. You know, that, that bothers mm-hmm. me. It's like it's, it has to logically be one or the other. Um, the second thing I look for is the, um, the paradox. That, that is the key concept of any time travel, which is the paradox, which is like, the self-contradictory proposition that, mm-hmm. that something is true, but also at the same time can't be true. It's kind of like, it, it is an unsolvable riddle. I look for yeah. that. That's the second thing I look for, because sometimes that can kind of drive the plot of the, of the movie, uh, or sometimes it's just kind of a side thing that's, that's a little bit mind-bending and, and fun. And then the, the last thing I look for is the technology, um, because every movie that you deal with the technology, it's always a mess. Like the technology, <laughs> like the, my time travel class covered the theory and the, and the logic, but the technology mm-hmm. is always just nonsense because like, what about the wobble? <laughs> the turn <laughs> styles. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is, I hope like, you guys have Dutch boy award uh, nominations <laughs> yeah. for this round. Yeah. I mean, th- there is some basic, like the basic science, like if you get into the technology, uh, one of the basic theories is just like, like the speed that you're going and time can travel differently. So it's actually like Einstein's rel- theory of relativity. Like there's some basis in that where yep. his theory was that if you're going really fast, if you if you approach the speed of light, time travels at a different speed. And like one, ex- you can prove that. Like you, if you take two clocks, like or two watches. And you put one at the airport in the lobby, and then you put the other one on a plane and send it around the world a couple times. What well, Chris does, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to do this casually, yeah. When those, when when that plane gets back, you can take those two watches and you can compare them, and the one that was on the plane will be like, you know, half a second behind. It time mm-hmm. moved just slightly slower for uh, when because it was going very fast. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there is actually science behind that. So if you just take that kind of to the extreme. If you move really fast, you can kind of manipulate time in that way. Um, so yeah, technology is always kind of like a fun thing to look for. Cause like in one movie, it'll be like, 
you know, Back to the Future. It's like the DeLorean. Like, it's like mm-hmm. a crazy car. The, the the most iconic time travel thing in, in American cinema, yep. you know, is, is a goofy-ass, ugly car <laughs> from the 80s, you know. Yeah. Or in, in other movies you look for, just, just kind of like see if you can find what the tech, the underlying tech is. Because like mm-hmm. some movies, they don't talk about it. One, one funny one is uh, in, ter- in the Terminator series, and we'll talk about it more later, but the, the gist is like the robots figured it out. It's like... <laughs> it's like yeah. Uh, yeah, they just got it. Uh, yeah. Just a real <laughs> solved itself. We did it. <laughs> uh, yeah. They, they don't get any further than that. They're like, yeah, well, the, you know, the robots figured it out, and then like we used it. So, uh, or, or like Interstellar. That movie kind of makes me mad, but it's apparently pretty good. Um, it's just black holes. Like the solution yeah. is just like, oh, you know, well, black holes. Well, I was going to say... the. I, I, and I, I'm sure Interstellar will come back up. I'm not a yep. fan of that movie. I it's going to come back up. I just jotted it down. Right. <laughs> the one thing I'll say is, yeah. so, I mean, that's one that a lot of the time travel, yeah, there's the black hole thing, but also a lot, like, uh, the coolest parts of the time travel were all relativity-based, where it was right. all, like, time was passing differently in different places, and that had narrative consequences and i think the thing that made me the maddest about that movie was the fact that they didn't understand that that was the coolest part and make that the movie (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah it was like uh the solution was just like oh you know black holes like you can't you can't just say black holes come on like or or the solution is you go into a cupboard you close your eyes and you try really hard (laughs) right yeah yeah they don't even yeah i'll i'll bring it up later when we're when we're actually discussing our our top time travel movies but i think the the theory that governs all that the the theory of relativity is more interestingly used on the like heavy planet with the huge gravitational pull where yeah yeah because gravity has that effect on it's the same thing with the black holes but to a lesser extent and yeah like that's the thing that was engaging to me because you know based something on real actual science and it's kind of cool and then they decided not to go with that for the rest of it. <laughs> the dust. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, I mean, it is interesting that there is like there there are basic you know principles of physics and science that like can support some of this stuff, and it, it would come up in my class. But you know, I don't have any kind of a science background. I just kind of it's a thing I look for. You know, I look for the tech mm-hmm. to see if they even try. Uh, another funny one was in primary. It was like I was looking for it. I was like, what's their technology? And it's just a bunch of scenes of them sort of like whispering sciencey shit to each other. They're just like sort of like <laughs> yeah. saying things. I was like, all right, they're not even talking about the science. They're just whispering. You can't. It's like slightly inaudible. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it's I not think, even the I think if you, you get can close, the, ca- co- I, close captioning, it's just slightly inaudible dialogue. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Is what it says. Yeah. At, they, at but one the point, thing with that. All they had to do was clear the threshold of how smart I am, which is fine. So like, <laughs> yeah. once you got past that, I'm like, oh my god, they're geniuses. They actually did it. Yeah. At, at one point, they're like getting the Freon from the refrigerator. I'm like, what are you yeah. doing with the Freon? Like, <laughs> we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to get a new, a new refrigerator. <laughs> Is it uh, worth it? Yeah, Freon. <laughs> like, what the? What are you guys doing? Uh, you guys? Yeah, it's incredible. Um, Rapid heating and cooling, man. Isn't that what causes time travel? <laughs> you know, time travel. <laughs> yep. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so to I guess to to conclude, the last the three things to look for the theory, the, the, at least from the way I look at it, I always look for the theory, the paradox, which is always the fun kind of thing to solve, and then I look for the technology, and then I could talk about just very briefly like what are the two main theories? Because there's a lot of theories you can go into, 
But I think. Uh, can... But they're like subsets of both of those, like master series theories yeah, kind of thing. I, I think so. I think there's two main kind of master theories that you can. Um, one of them has two sub theories, and I'll, I'll talk about it very, very briefly. But because <laughs> one of them is just bullshit. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So the two theories are: it's basically whether you believe in like a single timeline theory or you believe in a multiverse. And, uh, you know, in the single timeline theory, you know, it's just, it's basically, there's one universe, there's one timeline. And so if you go back in time and you mess around with things, it changes the course of that history. And there's two sub theories here. One that I'm interested in, I think is the interesting theory. It's we call it determinism. Like everything is predetermined. Uh, and then the other one, I don't, I don't know if there's a name for it, but I just call it back to the future fucking nonsense. Or, or <laughs> ETTFFN. Uh, it's because time travel theorists just hate this movie. It's like it's just nonsense. Like yeah. he goes back and he changes his past, and then like he starts to disappear. He like fades away. <laughs> like so, like this just doesn't that doesn't make any sense. Um, the more interesting theory is determinism, where it's one timeline and you can't change the past because there's one past, there's one present, there's one future, mm-hmm. and but the, the logical implication of that is if you believe that, then basically everything is predetermined. And the logical extreme of that is that nobody has any free will. It, it means that everything has already been decided. And there's no, and even when we think you're doing something spontaneous, like right now, doing a podcast on time travel, like that was preordained, that we were always going to do that. So that, that, you know, that's hard to wrap your head around. The way to get out of that is the other theory, which is the multiverse theory. And it, it basically believes that you can go back in time and you can change the past and that creates another timeline. Um, but the problem with that theory is that it's like, where do you draw the line? Every little change, every possible thing that has different, different um, ways you could go would be a new, a new timeline. It would be a new universe. And it, it would just, it's a multiverse of infinite numbers of universes number of possibilities and it's just like unfathomable to to think that that is how the universe works so that that's that other theory the weird thing and chris would probably know more about this but like there is some scientific support for this theory like i'm pretty sure this is the the underpinning of quantum mechanics or quantum theory is that like there can be hypotheticals where something happened and didn't happen and there's a lot of actual research on this kind of counterfactual and uh, things being one way, but also at the same time, another way. And uh, so there is a lot of crazy research and scientific basis to like this multiverse theory that I don't. The Berenstain Bears. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The Mandela effect. Some bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's the multiverse. So Chris, can you explain that to us in full quantum mechanics and physics? I literally have never taken a quantum mechanics <laughs> course. I've watched a few yeah. YouTube videos, maybe. And a they let ago. you work on planes? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Uh, somehow uh, they failed to recognize that uh, fast traveling aircraft cause time travel. Well, what is quantum mechanics? I mean, I guess I could quickly Google it, but like, no, it, I, I don't think we need. I don't think we need to go to go into. That. Welcome to hour six of Ballot, where we Google <laughs> quantum mechanics. Yeah, I don't. I'm like honestly, I I don't really know, but I yeah. think it's the the way that 
subatomic particles interact and kind of trying to extrapolate that into uh, things you can actually use to determine, uh, I don't know, I guess multiverse theory. and Right. Uh, Ant-Man physics. 2 does a great job with it. Yeah. yeah. That's a good... <laughs> you, good. Gotta, you gotta get really subatomic. <clears throat> yeah, right. So do you wanna... So I, I think I, when I watch a time travel movie... If it doesn't take itself seriously, I'm kind of fine skirting over the obvious bullshit inaccuracies that it may have. But if it tries to be a really heady sci-fi movie and doesn't accomplish it, that's when I kind of fall into Eric's camp of being up mad at what they're trying to sell me. Um, and so I actually think time travel is a really good... Um, good kind of setting for a ton of different genres because you can do whatever the fuck you want with it you can go as heady or as light and kind of audiences will go along there have been successful time travel movies in just about every genre i would say yeah um like hot tub time machine made a shocking amount of money and that starred rob riggle a Rob Riggle-led movie made a lot of money. John so. Cusack. I think it's I think it's Cusack is actually the lead. And is, um, is Rob Riggle even in Hot Tub Time Machine? I think so. He's the asshole. I'm pretty friend. sure he's like the even yeah, more the, proof of a multiverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know right. Craig Robinson. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the dude who plays Plop in uh, The Office. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Rob Riggle is in it. Thank God. I know Rob Corddry is in it. Oh, that's who I was thinking of. Oh, maybe. it is Rob Corddry, yeah. not Rob Riggle. God damn it. Rob Riggle's, yeah, I know. Cut yeah, this out. Right. Cut this all out. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to... Like, I like that you looked it up to confirm, saw Rob, and went, phew! <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, on that high note, um, Nate, uh, for you, do you also... Are you also kind of along for the ride with these time travel movies, or you do you kind of, are you do you get a little bit more into the scientific part of it? Uh, I I think actually similarly to you, uh, a lot of it depends on how the story sets itself up, right? Um, and I, I think that's true with sort of any iteration of of fiction, but uh, uh, the thing can fail or succeed on its own terms. So if if they sort of construct the parameters and are hand-waving a thing that they've made it okay to hand-wave, I have no problem with that. If they go... If Primer was full of, like, significant holes, we'd have a problem because mm -hmm. you have a movie that is constructing itself and presenting itself as, like, the biggest appeal is the construction of it. And so if the construction fails, then that's a problem. Um, when it came to evaluating the, the movies that we were talking about and sort of more generally... Um, I started to get a little bit more sort of like categorically analytical. Um, and that is where I came up with a scoring system to sort of use to, to rank these out. Now, this is not a, an unconditional, unequivocal, like the way that I would um, necessarily have these in my top 11 or top six, however we're going to do it today. Um, but it did sort of help frame my perspective on it. And so I sort of broke it down into different categories. It was inspired by the, um, there's a, a site called This Is Barry that, that deals with a lot of time travel movies that had sort of like a, a scoring system called the um, B-A-T-T-R score. Um, and, and so I sort of embellished on that and, and made my own iteration of it. 
um, which was called the shitter score. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the, the parameters that you sort of base it on are the stakes of the movie. Uh, how does it work? Meaning, uh, like, w- what is the actual means of time travel? Uh, the internal logic, which is sort of that area of, okay, does it hold up in terms of plot points? Does it hold up in terms of, like, uh, are the rules that the movie sets for itself abided by? Um, the internal morality, whether or not it's sort of contending with the consequences of this time travel and what that means for it, um, whether it's sort of dealing with that in a problematic way that it's not addressing at all or, like, a problematic way that it seems to kind of aggrandize or a way that's, like, really kind of getting into it. Um, and then you've got some more general characteristics like the theatrical performances, uh, the way that the movie looks, uh, the twist, which is essentially the paradox, but I wanted another T cause I couldn't put a P if I wanted it to be called shitter. Um, shipper. so the, the shipper. You're, you're really going for the like house of Congress naming bills. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you pick this, the name first and then you work backwards yeah. and eliminate like USA Patriot needed. Act. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I think that one was organic. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the twist, you know, the, the par- it could be the paradox, it could be just the reveal, you know, the, the moment where the consequences of time travel are revealed in a surprising way. Um, not a precondition for a great time travel movie, but oftentimes an important thing. And then the rewatchability of it. Um, and so we'll get into some, some shitter scores as we go along with things. But um, that was my sort of way of, of analyzing the movies once I had gotten past my initial sort of reaction to them. Yeah. Uh, Chris, do you have uh, anything anything else to add? Do you have your own scoring system that you created just for this episode? Yeah, I uh, I started putting together my list as Wall was talking about time travel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I had a few movies in mind, um, but as as theories started coming up, I started thinking of other movies. Uh, my my thing is, um, Nate Nate pretty much articulated how i think about it but uh, a little less uh, analytically more it's just like all right if if the movie doesn't engage with the fact that it is a like a scientific basis for time travel i do not care if it toes the line like i i know wall said uh, uh like all time travel theorists hate back to the future but like that doesn't really engage with the science of time travel, but it does try to be like semi-scientific having a literal uh, physicist uh, as one of its main characters. So, I mean, it engages with science in one way, but it doesn't actually try to theorize. Um, and, and so that doesn't bother me. Um, but yeah, if you're going to get onto a primer level of uh, analyzing the, the actual motion involved with time travel you better make sure you don't have any holes in it yeah um i think we can now go into the movies that we all picked uh i go ahead nate yeah i i just the the one other thing that sort of came up as we were diving into this and this is more shifting away from time travel and and to the sort of film focus but one of the things that definitely came up was like when we were going through movies to select um this is a, a genre of film, as are many, but like this is one that I, I think it's very prominent. How um, aggressively, like all white and male time travels are, um, yeah. time tra- travelers are. That it's it's very difficult to find a film where the protagonist, who is a time traveler, because you have 
some movies where the protagonist is a female character, but very rarely are they the ones who is time traveling. Very rarely is it a person of color who's time traveling, or that a person of color is even on screen, and when they are, you know, they're killed off pretty quickly. So it's one of those things that was interesting as we were going through and trying to be conscious of those aspects of it, like how homogenous a genre this was, not being a genre that would necessitate that. Right. You have certain genres of movie that are constructed in a way where they won't allow for characters of color. This is a genre that you're dealing with something that is inherently fantastical, even if it's scientific. It's projecting outwards. There's nothing Mm -hmm. stopping you from it. And it's one of the most aggressively white and male dominated. And that was just really interesting to be focused on. And there's a whole conversation about why that is and why movies that are based on scientific things are not marketed toward people of color and that's super problematic yep Mm -hmm. just one one last thing i was going to add because i think it kind of makes sense while we're speaking broadly about time travel as a genre but what i found is that there there's kind of like two big reasons that that time travel in my opinion has like just exploded as like this whole genre in and of itself And the first reason is that kind of what we've been talking about, like it's deep and it's kind of mind bending and philosophical and it's kind of like epic, you know, like Terminator, that kind of stuff. It's like the most epic sci-fi topic. But the other topic and and the other reason that I think we covered in our in our selection of movies is that there's this like basic human kind of yearning for for time travel. And it it, like it just appeals to like your heartstrings in a way that it's got to be some kind of instinctual thing. Where, you know, I know I've always wanted to go to Judgment Day. <laughs> <laughs> that's not where I was going. That got dark. <laughs> that got dark. Believe really it or quickly. not. SPF 2000. Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm going to think about that a lot. Um, but it's like we think of our lives linearly and we kind of think of our lives in kind of like movie format. And I think mm. everybody has thought about like what you could do. You could go back and do something a little bit differently or just mm-hmm. kind of perfect things a little bit, yeah. kind of like Groundhog's Day, where you go back and do, do that just a little bit better. Or go back, and I think in About Time, it covered this, where you go back and spend time with someone that's like, that's passed away or something. Like you, you can, go, it's like, it just appeals so deep that you can go back in time and like recreate this, this event in your life. And uh, I, you, you can see how this kind of genre has a lot of appeal and why they keep just cranking out Time travel movies. One of the things that I think goes with that is, as uh, humanity, we're not close at all to time travel. There's, like, no step. (laughs) As far as you know. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's what they want you to think. (laughs) (laughs) But with sci-fi movies, you can kind of see, like, we are progressing as a society and making steps toward... Bold know. claim, but shirt. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> movies like Contagion. Of, and, yeah. Yep. A bunch of scientific things. Uh, for time travel, it just it almost seems binary at a point where it's like, you can time travel or you can't time travel. Yep. And we haven't flipped that switch yet. And so everything in this realm is fantastical still. Um, and for a lot of sci-fi movies, it's like, all right, I could see myself in 2035 with, when things change into this style. So um, still waiting on uh, hoverboards. Yeah, we um, we've even gone to the point where we're calling <laughs> two wheeled on, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> on the ground transportation devices hoverboards, but we yeah. don't have actual hoverboards. God, 
Anyway, <laughs> let's actually start talking about some movies. Um, so, if you, if you think that's best, <laughs> uh, so the first one that we all picked um, that I think I hadn't seen this one. This is one of my big blind spots, uh, and is one of the most celebrated films of all time. Uh, was Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Uh, Nate, I think you had the most familiarity with this. You've seen yeah, it a few I, times. I'd seen this a couple times. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not a. Uh, I, I hadn't watched it when I was younger. It wasn't something I grew up with. Um, but but by like high school, I had I had sort of gotten into this movie. Your mom didn't um, take this to you when you yeah, were two. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so slipped by me for a little while, but but yeah, I, I I did have a relationship with this movie, um, and it was fun going to revisit it and and ending up going through the you know doing Terminator one, Terminator two, and then Terminator Dark Fate and skipping all the bullshit in between. Oh, you you skipped uh, the middle ones. Yeah, I'd seen them before. I didn't need to see them again. Um, see, time is a flat circle. Is the thing. God so damn it. It's kind of like I'm always watching them. Uh, it was really fun to go back and watch this with a, with a you know s- simultaneously like a more analytical lens because obviously I'd never sort of watched the movie with that <laughs> mindset of, of sort of like uh, cataloging uh, time travel movies, but also just to go revisit it. Every time I go back to this movie, I'm kind of shocked by how good an action movie it is, and I think that uh, so much more than the time travel is like a is a construct for it. Um, but unlike Terminator One, Terminator. Um, it's not even, it doesn't feel as sort of like, it feels like the, 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 the setting, like the backdrop of what you're watching. Totally. Um, more so than, than Terminator where it's like the time travel is the twist. The time travel is the thing that gets you into it. Um, and it was just really fun to kind of live in that, uh, it within those confines and be able to kind of just like watch the movie and enjoy it. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a really fun rewatch, but I'm interested in people's first time with it. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen it, um, which I think probably my most egregious blind spot film was since uh, now having seen Rocky Four. Um, <laughs> uh, con- considering that I had seen the original Terminator, I had seen Terminator Three, and I had seen Terminator Salvation, but I never seen you had never seen <laughs> the best Terminator. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty yeah, pretty egregious. Um, I I did start off the watch with with watching rewatching Terminator and it is it is such a stark difference between the two films like Terminator is really like methodical okay, so methodical what if the snail touches you and you die like that's the like yeah well, would you rather do this or that yeah that, like that's the <laughs> that in film that? form <laughs> uh, just stirring Michael Bean <laughs> rendition um and I, I like the I like the vibe of everything like in, in both movies like it's it's very <laughs> 80s early 90s it's uh, you get like the neon and all that shit mm-hmm. and you even get like the the desert vibes from from the second one um, yeah like you said Nate, it's not really a, a time travel movie but I, I like that it like it is a time travel movie in that the movie doesn't exist without time travel yeah so um, yeah I mean I, I think one of the most brilliant things uh, in that era is taking Arnold Schwarzenegger, who in the first film was uh, a villain and didn't really have much to do from like an acting perspective, uh, and making him the star and the hero in in the second one. 
um, and kind of putting him on on showcase. And while he still didn't have to like flex any acting acting skills, he, he had did to flex. Have, yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> he, he did have some uh, like emotional moments. And like, I know now why you that, cry. <laughs> that, that, that's something that didn't exist in the first film. Like there, it was basically just the Sarah Connor and and Reese scene where like okay there's emotion and then you find out like that that the twist spoiler in that one is that uh he's the dad um and that's like really the only moment of emotion you get whereas like it's basically all emotions in the second one where you find out that okay this hasn't really gone as planned since the ending of Terminator Mm -hmm. 1 and it's pretty jarring like uh Sarah Connor's in a in a mental hospital and uh her son is uh has adopted parents or foster parents and uh he's jacking atms yeah doesn't think that highly of her and thinks that and everyone thinks that what happened to her in the first movie is bullshit um and then it just turns into like a pretty fun adventure movie that is less of uh, the the way i think of terminator one is very much like halloween Mm-hmm. Um, it, you have the slow methodical killer coming around and like there, there are even like parallels where going into houses and, and killing the boyfriend or whatever, while the, the girlfriend goes and gets food or something like those are parallels that are pretty easy to draw. But the second one is a pure action movie with, with a lot more uh, interesting things going on. It's, it's such an improvement in, technical ways and kind of broadening the story. I, I did love the simplicity of the first one um, where it's, there is something out there that is going to kill you and it won't stop ever. You know, it's, it's a horror movie more or less. Um, I will say, I love the plot device of who could the father be of these three characters that are in the movie. <laughs> this is okay. So, so which, uh, which, which also ties to tenant. Which is, yes. who could this woman be diving off this boat? Is it the only woman in the movie? Yeah. I will say, on the on the who could the father be think, um, Ivy, who is usually, like, upsettingly good at guessing the twist, to the point where we'll be, like, two minutes into Fight Club, and apologies to anybody who hasn't seen, she'll, like, see the the flash of Brad Pitt that you're not supposed to notice and it's subliminal and she goes, hey, that's Brad oh, he's Brad Pitt <laughs> and we'll like, get it and it ruins movies. With this, she was 100% positive that Kyle was her son <laughs> and that it was oh, and, and she so, fucked and, her and was like right up until the moment that they started having sex and <laughs> well, boy was that Was she like, wait a second, <laughs> I don't <on>. know <laughs> Very uh, close to spitting out my drink there. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm not sure quite yet. Yeah. Whole different movie. That would be a yeah. whole different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, Terminator 2 just improved on the whole action movie thing. It, the set pieces are bigger. The, um, the visual effects are bigger. The T-1000 is fucking incredible as far as a visual showcase for an action movie from 1991 you know some of which to be fair is seven years later than the original like the original was 84 so it is a big gap in terms of in terms of technology um and it's like 
nearly a perfect action movie for me. Right. It is it is just like absolutely out there. I do love that the T one thousand kills people by poking them gent- like <laughs> with its one finger. Like that's menacing. You Wait, know? so that there's some so that's that, some Anton Sugar shit. That's like yeah, that, that you can see that in no country. That does bring me to an interesting like one one thing that they, they gave themselves for boundaries was like, yeah, he can't like you can't like shoot a gun, like he can't use his his yeah. body to turn into any weapon other than like blades. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he can be a blade. I, okay. Which, which I think is a a it it's a lot easier to uh, to make that as an effect, and B it's like all right, what if you could just shoot her? It's like well, all right, <laughs> maybe this, maybe that one's not quite as good. This is where I did, the, like, I did think it was are, really you are sorry. I did I did think story. it was really cool that they, they did the uh, the liquid nitrogen uh, Chekhov's liquid nitrogen truck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like my the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking like what can you kill a liquid metal with uh make it cold where it's hot it turns out it wasn't that i think some of my favorite scenes were of the t-1000 running with two blades as arms it's like sprinting (laughs) oh yeah well and also another thing i like made a mental note of this because i swear to god like a third of the movie is just like the protagonist driving in a car with the t-1000 just chasing them like running (laughs) with like (laughs) with intense music do you get that it's like this really intense music playing oh yeah it's just like the guy love the music maniacally running behind them it's like it's so great oh my god yeah i'm never i was never sure how fast the teeth 1000 was yeah like well, almost it, as fast as a car yeah. it, but no not, matter what speed the car is going unless, it's unless they're running away a on a bike in which case it's almost <laughs> yeah. as fast as a bike it's always it's always just almost the fastest it, its top speed is almost yeah so it's the yeah the speed uh conditional upon the speed it's, of what yeah. it's chasing <laughs> which yeah. you think the robots they could do the whole Programming thing flaw. but they couldn't figure this out yeah, yeah. it yeah. Oh, um, running! Damn it! We should have yeah. made him faster. <laughs> or, but just like for me, the music, the background music is just—it's so great. Like if you go back Amazing. and I've seen this movie like a hundred times. So like the yeah. background of him, it's always when he's running. It's just like this really intense, like yeah, it's uh, like yeah. techno music. It's great. Yeah, no, yeah. it's really great. So uh, one of my favorite little details is I texted Nate this while I was watching it, uh, and I here's the verbatim tinnitus alert. Uh, for Terminator 2, uh, when Arnold's, Arnold and Sarah Connor shoot a shotgun and, like, nine handgun bullets in a tiny elevator. Um, and apparently that actually gave Linda Hamilton tinnitus. Huh. Look at that. that, was, that, that Nate, sucks. you told me that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. She, I guess she didn't put her earplugs in on one take, and now it's permanent. thing that I didn't know until I looked at the uh, cast list, uh, Linda Hamilton had a twin sister who played yeah. her body double in the movie. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately died last year, but uh, I, I was thinking as I was watching the movie, like that's pretty incredible for 1992. Uh, yeah. Usually, usually there's like a little halo around the body double. Cause you're, cause they were using like alternate film or something like that. But no, it was two people who look the same. Yeah. Well, I, I did like that. As far as the time travel paradoxy stuff goes in this, it is a piece of um, uh, the Terminator is left behind and studied 
And that is what then creates the whole future going forward. Which is a really interesting thing because if you uh, if you break the two movies down, they, they kind of follow alternate theories based on mm-hmm. well, the sort of theories you were going through, right? The, the first yep. one is that sort of determinism where it's, it's a loop where things mm-hmm. that happen in the future come back and can change the past, but they change the past in a way that makes it the future that you're going, right? right. And yeah. then this movie veers out of that, but it starts from there. It starts from the idea that the Terminator's hand that was left there mm-hmm. is what helps to create this reality. But by the end of it, they've, especially if you go forwards and see some of the other uh, Terminator films, the, the subsequent Terminator films, the, the it's it's now shifted and it's actually mm-hmm. going in a different direction that won't end up in that situation. And then you get into some like there's some inevitability, but it's not always going to create the same thing. And it kind of each movie kind of branches in different directions. But it but it is really interesting to see two back to back movies kind of like operating within the same sphere and and sort of trending in two different directions. Yeah, that that was what I had in my in my notes for because Terminator Two it was like my all time favorite movie. I'm so glad that this was included, uh, and, and it starts with you know my basic you know I always look for the theory, I look for the paradox, I look for the technology, and the theory you know the series as a whole the basic point is that determinism. Um, but you're right that like as the series goes on, like the first movie it's kind of rooted in that kind of closed loop. You know, you can't change the past, mm-hmm. but each movie it gets like they deviate a little bit more and a little bit more. And I found a big hole in T2 that I was like pretty upset about because I, I thought T2 was a little bit more like T1 where it's a closed loop. But there's one big hole. But the basic point is the same. It's like robots take over the world. A strong leader, John Connor, is the general who leads the humans in the uprising against the robots. And so the robots send Arnold Schwarzenegger back in time to kill John Connor before he's born. Um, but in the process of doing that, they end up causing the chain of events that causes John Connor to become the badass warrior mm-hmm. who he later becomes. And, you know, the first one is that, like, in T1, they send back the humans to, to stop this robot. They send back a human, and that human becomes John Connor's father. So it's like the robots un- unexpectedly caused John Connor to be born. Yeah. And, Fucking idiots. Yeah, idiots. <laughs> And, and then they keep, you know, there's like seven movies at this point. They keep sending these robots back to kill them. And it just makes... Goddamn robots. It, <laughs> yeah. Every, every couple of years, I got to fight off these robots. But it he becomes like this hardened, badass warrior. And so, like, they've made him into who he becomes. But my favorite, just like Nate was talking about, and actually, Zach, you talked about this too, the paradox that, that's at the center of this the whole series is I think like my favorite example of a paradox. It's the best one of all time. And it's that just like you were saying, Zach, that the robots in T1, when they sent back Arnold, he is sort of destroyed in this factory and the remnants of his, of his like shell are found Mm -hmm. and it's his chip and it's his arm. And Miles Dyson, who's, who's a big figure in the second movie, he finds that sort of like remnants and he uses that technology to develop what later becomes Cyberdyne. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's this perfect loop where, you know, where did the technology originate? Like, it came from the future yeah. and it becomes the future. But it's like, where did the idea for this technology originally come from? And I just think it's perfect because there's no solution. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's an unsolvable paradox. If it's, it's obviously not a movie, but um, if, if any of you have ever watched Dark, the, the Netflix show, the I have seen it. show. Yeah, it's a and, great and show. And that, 
that it's really cool. Re- good, like, three seasons and we're out. You know, we've got at least the bones of the idea all the way through and obviously deals with, with a lot of this. And also kind of uh, dabbles into the, the parallel... Uh, they kind of have the two different theories running simultaneously as it's revealed as it goes along. Um, But uh, they deal with some of these closed loop things of uh, like a book is written by uh, a book exists and is given to a person in the past who then like says that they write it and use that to sort of, and then put it out into the world and then it travels forwards and then is sent back into the past and it never got created. It's just existed in that loop. Yeah. Sounds a little bit like timeline. <laughs> sort of. But in this yeah. case, <laughs> it's a great show. <laughs> yeah. Dark, yeah, I put dark on like my list of maybe not necessarily movies, but like it's probably yeah. my favorite time travel show. Oh, it's a I think that it's like first three season especially is just yeah. like Yeah. Unreal. Did not know it was about time travel, but I <clears throat> I was it's on the list. Yeah, I will say I didn't either watching. going into it, and I I apologize for spoiling that surprise for you, um, because that was really cool when I figured out that's what it was. But also, mm-hmm. the show is wonderful without that. Regardless. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. I think one last thing before we move on. Can we talk about how ready Linda Hamilton was just to kill random people and children? <laughs> like she was just fucking down. She's like cool. Don't and then care. She just broke down like what the fuck am i doing and you're like oh i am killing kids yeah Yeah. it it seemed very sudden her her i i I think similar the way that they use that the the real time sort of time jump right from 84 to to 91 i don't remember exactly how it correlates in there but it's something like that right the way that they put your expectations the most obvious one is the like arnold is now a good guy which is if you think about how people were consuming movies. That's like, a fucking know twist. That. that reveal in the mental, and you don't know until the mental hospital. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you're yeah. not sure until that scene. Um, so that is the most overt one. It's, but it's an incredible the, twist. But the Linda Hamilton, like, becoming, uh, both, like, being in a mental institution and separated from her son is shocking. And then just, like, opening on her being the biggest badass of all time when yep. she's in the when she's in the cell doing the chin-ups. Like, just that, yoked. I mean, absolutely yeah, yoked. yoked. But that's such a brilliant, like, for for them to walk in and be like, okay, here's, here's how we can make a sequel. That is one of the best examples mm. of how to sort of, like, evolve a plot, make it feel yep. of a piece, make it work as a cohesive thing, but also to make a completely different movie and not just try and sort of tether yourself to the thing that exists First, that's how you get one of the best movies ever, and it's a sequel, you know? Yeah, yeah Hollywood, except for the creators of Paddington 2, take a note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she really was, like, one of the most epic, like, female lead, like, protagonists I mean, in, like, any yeah. in any movie of all time. She's so Unreal. badass. Ellen Ripley uh, up yeah. there in, in yeah. the same era. Yeah, it's she's right, right totally. Yeah, and, and it, it leads, like, the last kind of parts that I had in my notes were that, like kind of like what you're saying about Terminator 2, like the best movie of all time, like there's a lot going on in this movie, you know, because, you know, we're talking about the time travel element to it, which is kind of embedded, but that's like the fifth Mm -hmm. coolest thing about that movie. There's there's a robot made of liquid metal that stabs people in the eye socket over and over. Scientifically, that was the most interesting part to me. Just running with two blade arms. That was like the (laughs) tenth coolest thing. 
Like, yeah. first of all, it's the probably the best sci-fi plot of all time. It's almost like a cliche, like robots take yeah. over the world, like Rage Against the Machines. Like, it's like a cliche, yeah. so epic. And I'm pretty sure it's like started with Terminator. Um, yeah. It's the, probably the best pure action movie of all time. Like, I think yeah. this was yeah, at, totally. at the time it was made, it was the highest budget movie uh, of all time. And it was like... hundred something million, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was like the James, James yeah. Cameron style of like massive... Big budget, just go for the home run, just like explosions, just like everywhere. Um, yeah. yeah, I think people might make an argument for Die Hard, but there's so yeah. much more downtime in Die Hard. Yeah. Right, I was, that's what I was. It's a, it's, it's a much slower movie than you remember. Die Hard, you think of the, you know, the 60 minutes of Die Hard, right? Yeah. It, yeah. I, it, I love all of I the do downtime well. in Die Hard. So for sure, but no it's shots at Die Hard, right? But, T two is a much faster paced, yep. constant action. Yep. Yeah. And then, action and then movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger, like the most epic like role mm-hmm. for any action Governor star of ever. Yeah, like there, you can't like there is no more cool like badass yeah. like role of any of any like action star. And then the final totally. thing, and Zach and I talked about this, and you kind of talked about it with Linda Hamilton, but it's like the most savagely violent movie I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> it's so good. Th- there's so many scenes, yeah, like Linda Hamilton just like mercilessly like shooting and stabbing people. Or my <laughs> the, favorite when is just she like, goes at Dyson. Oh my god! Yeah, 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 that whole sequence is insane. It's, great. it's like not in front of my kids. Like who fucking cares? I don't kill him. <laughs> But I took a mental note of like how many times you see Arnold just like smashing someone's head on a wall, like that, like specifically that is like he just yeah. like matches peeling his own skin yeah. off in front really? of a family. Yeah, or really just like big, uh, no just look on you, no one it's was like, ah! energy. <laughs> Like, no one was killed, and he's fucking yeah. Gatling gunning, like, an entire <laughs> yeah. squad of police. And they're like, no, no, no. Yeah. He, well, he does the targeting thing, and they're like, no, no human fatalities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just, like, a freakishly strong Arnold's, like, fist against, like, a defenseless human skull. Like, he just, like, like yeah, like, like dead. <laughs> he throws a guy onto a burner <laughs> in the first scene of the movie. Yeah. It's like, yep, that's the good guy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Really good. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, speaking... the, just to, just I, it feels important to mention the shitter score for Terminator 2 was uh, 32. And it'll become clear uh, whether that's what? No, no, no. Let's, bad not reveal, let's, not, let's not reveal how much it's out of. Let's keep the score as useless as possible until the very end. Perfect. Um, speaking of Die Hard, uh, let's go to 12 Monkeys. Um, another Bruce, same movie, Bruce Willis led film. Uh, uh, Eric, this was your suggestion. Do so you want to give a little lead in? Yeah, sure. I can kind of give just a quick overview and why I picked this movie because it, it it fits into kind of my my talk, you know, all my theories yeah. and stuff. Um, this movie is a little too on the nose right now. <laughs> it's a, it's about a future dystopian world that has been ravaged by a global pandemic. And the future world has somehow developed time travel, and they send a guy back in time. That guy is Bruce Willis. And they send him back in time to uh, discover the source of the virus. So that, that's like the mission statement. And I chose this movie for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's probably, I thought it used to be, for me, it used to be Terminator until I realized that they've strayed. But it's one of the best and probably most consistent example of like the determinism theory of time travel. And it's basically because like 
you sort of learn it as the plot goes on, but the future world has kind of given up on trying to prevent this virus from spreading. That what instead, I mean, the protagonist doesn't seem to know that. He thinks he's trying to save the world, but the people are a little smarter than that, and they've realized that they can't stop it. But all they want is to get extract information about the virus and bring it back to the future so they can develop a cure. So that it's something you kind of learn as the movie goes on, but I just think that's like an interesting concept. And the other point is that it's a little scattered throughout the movie. Like the first 10 minutes makes sense, and then it's like an hour of nonsense. A clusterfuck. And then like the last half hour, it all kind of comes together. But I think it's one of the best like finishes in time travel kind of cinema history. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it all kind of the, the final half hour, everything comes together and it comes full circle in a way that I think is just perfect. It's like, and it, there's like a symmetry to it and there's kind of a closed loop. Um, and, you know, that's why I chose the movie. And, and part of it is that just a larger, like when I'm, when I'm analyzing these movies, what I like about the determinism theory is that it takes like razor sharp attention to detail and, and dedication because a multiverse is easy. You basically, if, if you go back and you mess with things and there's a new timeline, it's easy. You just explain it away. You know, it's a new timeline. Yeah. But determinism, it, you have to go back and every detail has to be accounted for. And uh, any little inconsistency kind of blows the whole, the whole uh, story. And so uh, there has to be this kind of like everything has to come together just perfectly. Um, and so that was kind of why I, I chose that movie. And, and it really, I think the half hour, the last half hour, which we can talk about or, or I can give an overview of or whatever, whatever is easiest. But it's like it's all worth the 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 watch of the movie. It's just that last like kind of everything connecting. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna give my I think like once a year I'll do this with one movie and say uh, this movie would have been an incredible horror movie. Um, I think one of the scariest things is losing grip on reality and not knowing what's real and what's not, and that's a pretty big part of this movie is is Bruce Willis's character not necessarily understanding what whether the things he's seeing are real or uh, fabricated portions of his mind um, and combine that with his stint in, in a mental institution and uh, I think you have some pretty good uh starting points for an awesome horror movie uh and it's like thematically it's pretty weird and and freaky like his his experiences you know sitting in a chair being analyzed by this group of scientists and he's not really sure what's going on i think all that stuff uh if, if you change the tone of the film a little bit i, I think improves it um, as far as the, the time travel goes, I think that stuff's all really cool. Like getting the, the introduction through his dreams about the things that are, uh, his ultimate fate, which is ending up <laughs> shot by, uh, police officers at the airport trying to chase down the guy who has the virus that eventually spreads. Um, th- that stuff is really cool. It's, um, the film is based loosely on a film called, called La Jete. Um I don't know if any of you guys watched it for for this or ever, but I, I, I had seen it. I enjoyed this movie so much more having not watched it in a, an academic 
since <laughs> I, wa- I watched this movie for a philosophy and film class and we we watched it alongside La Jete and uh, basically that movie is it's a 26 minute film that is just a series of still shots and it's it kind of tells the story of time travel like non-linearly and it's uh it's not a super interesting thing to watch unless you take contextually like when it was made and how it was made and how kind of revolutionary it was at the time um basically that's just the like airport parts yeah. like the la jete means the jetty which is you know where they were like watching planes take off and stuff um but having that as like the framework for the whole film for me is really cool like the this dude having having dreams that aren't dreams it's really memories but also his future like that's awesome um there's there's just like some stuff in the middle where i'm like i kind of wish they had gone in this direction rather than this direction i think a lot of the like him going out to collect samples uh like that stuff's really cool and getting almost attacked by a bear uh like that shit's awesome to me like i wish there had been more of that but more, i definitely enjoyed more this bears more. <laughs> yeah i definitely enjoyed it a lot more the second time around it's that's, it that's interesting a- for me it's the flip i i actually so i had seen this um before and and for me knowing the twist and knowing where it was headed the whole time um meant that what what i was focusing on and what i was paying more attention to was the aspects of it that didn't work as well for me, which were the, you know, like it's a movie that's deliberately trying to sort of disorient you and make you feel as unsure about things as the, the character is, which I think is a cool conceptual construction, but made it like very, uh, unenjoyable. (laughs) And like, like the, you know, like looking that off kilter constantly and things like that, that are made to sort of make you feel this viscerally disoriented. Just like it wasn't as fun to watch when I already knew what it was all building towards right i think yeah i don't like, know if terry gilliam has like a command of the, the camera and everything well when so. when every angle is a dutch angle does anything <laughs> matter you got one move and and boy does he he do it um but yeah i i think so like there's i think once you get into the 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 terminist um aspect of it and i, I think specifically within that last scene there's a lot of things that happen that you can interpret in various ways in terms of how they're playing out. Um, the the his friend from the future coming back and giving him the gun is one thing. Where mm-hmm. the reason that he would be sent back to give him a gun implies some level of them actually trying to make that continue to happen, which gets into a whole conversation about like, okay, are they doing this to make sh- to ensure that they still exist in their future and things like that? There's a whole lot to unpack on that end, and the same thing when. The, uh, the woman from the future is on the plane at the end and yep. uh, says insurance. the last line is insurance, which you can unpack a lot of different directions. You can say, OK, that that is a uh, that that is um, like like the, is that her making sure that it happens and ensuring that the samples are released? Is it her as a backup plan to try and undermine it and possibly still stop this guy from releasing it in a way like we it, it leaves a lot of things open ended that are really interesting to think about. I just didn't love the journey to get to those thoughts, if that makes yeah. sense. Uh, this movie's fucking gross. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I think we need to mention that. Like, the molars? Everything is intentionally disgusting. Um, Bruce Willis drools a lot. 
in this movie. Almost immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, You know, it is a portrait of a world consumed by filth. Um, And even, like, Brad Pitt, an attractive man who plays a billionaire's son, is, like, gross and, like ratty and crazy i believe you know? he has a contact in he's got a, yeah, like, yeah. like they're pointing yeah. different directions yeah uh it it's every part of this movie is intended to make you kind of uncomfortable and by the at, way I, I can't believe we've gotten this far in without mentioning that brad pitt was nominated for an oscar for this oh yeah, yeah. Which, he was i think he, he won a golden Jeffrey globe Goins? for this jeffrey is that what yeah which is yeah. probably says more about the golden globes than anything else but i Brad Pitt's performance is like great in the first scene and then uh, gets way too much as the movie goes on. I, I think it's more a, a thing of just just maybe don't put it in that much. Yeah, like less is more with that yeah. character. Um, yeah, his scene I'm, of kind of introducing him to like the psych ward, I feel like yeah, that is his so kind of like prize. Awesome. Like this kind of crazy it's a lot of just like Brad Pitt kind of doing his thing and the rest of the movie is just it's like yeah it's really hard to it's not great but I feel like that's maybe where he got his yeah where he, uh, uh, do you want to know who Brad Pitt beat out for this uh, this Golden Globe probably not uh, he beat Ed Harris in Apollo 13 oh wow that's wrong <laughs> uh, John Leguizamo in Tu Wong Fu Thanks for Everything Julie Newmar Tim Roth in Rob Roy, a movie hmm. I do not know existed. He was the star uh, of Hot Tub Time Machine, right? <laughs> uh, and Kevin Spacey in The Usual Suspects. Huh. That's fine. Well, really? <laughs> who who yeah. won? Uh, was it Best Supporting Actor? Who won at the Academy Award that year? I think it was Spacey. For Usual? Okay. Hmm. Yeah. If I think it was Spacey. Was he not that the lead? Well, can we confirm that? Uh, it's Rob Riggle. <laughs> Turns out it yes. was Rob Riggle. Um, Spacey won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Oh, wow. Okay. That sucks. Yeah. Um, well, we got our our piece of shit award for the... the for night. a movie that is not the movie, though. For the usual suspects, a time travel movie. Um, I, is that I, a heist movie? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's not a time... Has Kevin Spacey been I, in the time travel movie? The only one I can think of well, is K-Pax. K-Pax. Our, our next movie, <laughs> or our next podcast is heist movies. Oh, so. okay. Um, I, I like this. I, I did think it was pretty ugly, but I think I'm with you, Nate, that it was really cool to try and figure out the first time I watched it. Yeah. Um, what was going to happen, and that I think the, like, while you were saying the last 30 minutes is yep. pretty incredible about like, Oh shit. She's in on this. Like it's a genuine twist right mm-hmm. at the end. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, I am not one who thinks this kind of steampunky space filth thing looks pretty good. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely did enjoy the movie. Yeah, um, it, as a whole. Even like the last half hour is even giving it too much credit. It's like the last ten <laughs> minutes. And yeah, it, it, it is. Once they, it is once they get on the highway and 
they hear yeah. about the animals getting released and they're like, we yeah. die. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Like, it that's is, the moment is, when you're like, fuck. It is Brad Pitt talking for the first 10 yeah. minutes and then that scene. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and, yeah. and even within that last 10 minutes, it's like you can narrow it down to like, like two minutes within it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. for me, what yeah. got me was like the, where it all kind of clicks and it all comes full circle where you know, it's like it all leads up to this dramatic encounter at the airport. And, yeah. and you kind of see and where you know it's it going. going you kind of see where it's going because you're like, wait a second. He, throughout the movie, he's haunted by those recurring dreams of him, of, of kind of like yeah. him as a kid seeing this guy get shot down in this airport. Yeah. And it's kind of like it's this backdrop of the whole of the whole movie. And, yeah. you know, he see, he's at the airport and he sees the guy with the briefcase. And, mm-hmm. and it appeals to that kind of like, like this is your shot to like change the world yeah. kind of thing. And it's like, it goes, in, I think at one point it goes in slow-mo and he, he pushes past the guards and he's like, he's after the guy with the briefcase and he's like 10 feet in front of him and he pulls his gun out and it's just like, he's just trying to aim it at him and he's mm-hmm. about to pull the trigger. He's like a half second from pulling the trigger and saving the world and he gets shot down. And it's like yeah. at that very moment, it, it, it was like determinism kind of like at its like best where it's like at its core yeah. just as he's about to change and save the world something happens and stops it except he's already lost because the, guy, the virus had been released he's already yeah. opened the sample yeah he's already yeah. opened the sample yeah yeah and and so he's about to pull the trigger and then so like and then, all for nothing yep. <laughs> but but what's interesting is that that very moment that very like that perfect moment where it's like he quite doesn't quite get there also loops back to his recurring dream where then his 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 past self sees him getting shot and they did those two moments they somehow did them at the same time even though they're not necessarily like related they're just two different things but like they sort of combined those two things and i just felt like that was like the perfect way to kind of like close the loop um so yeah that that last like five minute scene probably to give it to be to be honest is like worth yeah so in summary this movie could have been a 26 minute film of <laughs> still <stills>. photos <laughs> yeah. uh by the way i i did absolutely love the theme for this movie oh it's so the, good the like circus theme yeah uh one last thing is a shout out to christopher maloney with hair um just just an incredible performance by that uh coming up later <laughs> Um, uh, a shitter score of 23. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, right. So let's move on to uh, my pick, which was Primer, which I had never seen before. And I solely picked because it had been touted as kind of the most pure time travel movie made. Um, this was uh, directed by Shane Carruth who I believe this is his first film at all. Maybe only. Yeah, it's, it's barely even a full film. It's 77 minutes. It's very short. Um, and it's clearly low budget. Uh, and it deals with two friends who are kind of tech inventors who end up creating time travel. And then the instant and immediate fallout that happens from creating time travel. Uh, turns out that uh, time travel is awful and everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong. Um, uh, Chris, this was your first time watching this as well, right? Yes. Uh, um, go for it. What? 
what questions do you have for me that will turn into more questions? So, so this movie is specifically about time travel and none about the actual movie part itself. They don't really try and make this about anything other than an exploration of what time travel means. Um, I enjoyed it. I think that that works for me, if, especially if it's kept to that kind of shorter time frame. Did uh, did that work for you? Was it kind of a bit much? No, I honestly love that part of it where some of the most important parts of the plot aren't even in the movie until later on where it's just things that are discussed kind of offhand and the focus is really on the, our two main characters and whatever iterations of them spring from various forays into time travel. Yeah, Aaron um, Aaron 4 and Abe 2. <laughs> yeah, our main characters. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, th- I think this is one that I would have liked to watch would have liked to have watched a second time but just didn't get around to it but watching explainer videos kind of did the trick um, which were as long as the movie itself yeah pretty much uh but i i appreciate that it's like it, as far as a film like filmmaking it's pretty bad like it's it's real ugly yeah like a, a weird color palette uh pretty grainy film stock for what was this 2004 four yeah um and the acting is awful. <laughs> so um, bad. Especially but, the second, the blonde guy. The, the, I don't remember their names. Abe. Abe, sure. Which, which Abe, though? Uh, he gets better with time. <laughs> he, he, he was in Argo? <laughs> anyway, I'm that's sorry. the biggest paradox we've heard. <laughs> An Oscar winning film. <laughs> um,. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm gonna need to do some investigation there, but yeah, I I, I love the the mechanics of time travel here, where it, just the idea of they knew that time travel was going to be problematic potentially, so they created fail safes, and then you have like two. The the movie's really about like the the two main characters and the way that they approach time travel and the way they approach like how careful they are about it and just the fact that they're not revealing anything to each other and they're both kind of going behind each other's backs to do one thing or the other and they've both created these two different fail safes for like if something goes wrong we can always go back to before then and the way that they each undercut each other is so fucking cool yeah and the way they reveal it too where one discovers the failsafe of the other and then creates a failsafe prior to the failsafe of the other it's like it's it's a lot so and then it's it's further revealed in the scene where you see it in the in the initial scene where you're you're finding out that uh, where he's telling Abe's telling the other guy I don't fucking remember uh that time travel he's trying to break it's Abe, into Abe and Aaron other two. Oh, good those are it's easy the, to tell it's apart. the same name yeah. <laughs> it's, it's trying to break it to him gently about like step by step walk him through like how he discovered that time travel is possible and that he's been doing it you find out later that he wasn't actually listening to an ncaa tournament game he was listening to himself having that conversation so that he could replicate it as not to change anything 
is just that's I mean that's the absolute I love that shit. That's the absolute best I think part of the movie that that merges the um I think the success of the storytelling and the maybe not quite as much success of the like filmmaking aspect of it, right? And that's the moment where I think you strike a perfect balance where the reveal works really well as cinema but is also narratively such a brilliant idea. And I think a lot of the movie gets to those sort of narrative really smart heights. I think less of the movie gets to the um, gets to the filmmaking heights of, of that moment, which again still looks gross and and <laughs> is poorly acted, but is just like is a very compelling moment. And it really works. Um, I also the, the budget of this movie was like seven thousand dollars. <laughs> so yeah, right. fair enough. Like we, we could have pulled together and financed this movie. <laughs> um, I I will say the things that have stuck with me in a lot of ways about this movie other than like the the, the things uh, as a film that have stuck with me are like there, there are a couple of those just kind of lingering um subplots that are left unanswered like the that you you're left to extrapolate like you know there's been some time travel fuckery going on and you're seeing the consequences of it but you don't actually know what happened i'm thinking specifically of like the one character's dad who starts tailing them at one point mm-hmm. and has clearly time traveled but you don't know it's abe's <laughs> girlfriend's dad abe's girlfriend's dad yeah. and you're not given any information and it never resolves and those were the things that in the moment i felt a little bit like oh, that's weird and the longer I've taken since then, the, those are the parts that have resonated the most with me because they're the most interesting for me as a viewer of the movie to get sort of pulled into and not just have the whole story answered for me, but to have those sort of lingering ideas of what other possibilities could be sort of spinning out of this. Um, which, yeah, th- that that was, I think, what elevated this movie for me. Well, the, the fact that they did accomplish certain moments like that, even for um, some of the other the struggles of it. Yeah, it was like the theme of the movie was that things were spiraling out of control. Like the movie kind of peaked with like things like all these implications, all these loose ends, mm-hmm. these threads. And then the ending, the fi- the finale is like this guy has taken control. Like he has, he yeah. has like yeah. he's the maestro now. He's got like the tapes and he's doing everything exactly as it should. So you just get the sense that he's just like. He has perfected this. He, he's won. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit like in Groundhog's Day when it's like the final, the final timeline where he just like does everything just the right way. Um, so yeah, that that I think that's a good. You have a good sense of kind of how that how the how the movie kind of like progressed. Mm-hmm. This is this was one where, as I was watching, I was like, I think I understand this. Like, I, I, I know that bad stuff is happening and that they're jockeying, but I, it was hard to figure out who was ahead at the time. And I think that's obviously intentional. Yeah. Um, but it was really intriguing being like, okay, am I rooting for someone here? Because you're kind of rooting for both of them. Neither of them are like outwardly fucking the other over. Throughout You're the really film. rooting for the uh, Aaron Two who gets kicked out of the. the oh house. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tough look for my guy Aaron Two. Really didn't pan out for that dude. Well, also shouts to Aaron One who's like stuck in the in the attic. Oh yeah, uh, stuck. That's one way to put it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I just thought it was funny that they. It's like they just had to keep going back and then just like offing offing themselves. <laughs> it's like you just had to yeah. like. It's the logical implication. If you go back in time, it's like, fuck, I have to deal with my past self. And then 
they just have to deal with themselves in like all these different ways. Well, that yeah. was, and, and on the other end of that, in terms of the planning, that was one of the things that I, I, I thought was one of the most interesting story to how they account for that immediately. Like when so many time travel films that you see, it's either someone stumbles into it or uh, it's just a fact of, of life and it happens. And then, you know, and, and, and you, you kind of leap into it from there. And with this, the way that like the, your first introduction to time travel is him saying like, yeah, I went and stayed in a hotel to make sure I was out of the way so that when I returned, I would go through the whole day and be able to sort of pass through without interacting with myself and potentially opening the door. And, like, that's just, like, you're so many steps ahead at that yeah. point. Yeah. Which is really cool to see a movie sort of, like, like get you to the place that people's understanding of time travel usually gets to by the end of the movie and start there. That's, like, a very cool conceit for a, for a, um, a story. Yeah. And, and then finish with uh, there are birds in the attic and it's really <laughs> just the first version of me. Yeah, I, I did like that the stakes were very small here. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you know, they're just playing stocks during the day. Like, that's their, their big end goal is to just, like, make some money. It, it's not to change the world or to do anything crazy. It's like, alright, we have this thing. We don't really know what it can do, but I think we can make some money off of it. So let's like go in a hotel room, not look at our phones, and put some stocks in. To be fair, Abe's girlfriend's ex-boyfriend brings a shotgun to a party, and who among Aaron, us? Aaron has to break that up. Well, but does he did that have happen to at Ivy War? Is that so that he? That's a whole other. That's one of the other lingering threads. If you never get the full story of why that was a thing and why he chose to do that and what the actual consequences of it were, and and why he kept having to perfect it, right? Exactly. Yeah, because he went back and did it several times at least. That part confused. It was like a total side. I didn't know if it was central to the plot or what, but I just could never figure out what the hell was going on with that whole that whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I think Chuck Klosterman, who wrote about this movie, had a really good kind of summation, um, is that in Primer, time travel is too important to use only for money, but too important to use it for anything else, is kind of how he ended up That's on a good, it. Good, good elevator pitch. Good tagline. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's like professional writers are way better at this than any of us are. <laughs> who knew? Um, yeah, that, so the director has done a couple other things. Upstream Color was the one other movie that I, I that was like you know a, a well known yeah. enough thing that got some press. W- was that was that, that budget over seven thousand dollars? I think moderately, <laughs> just based on the on the picture, um, and uh, and then it has two other movies that didn't get a lot of press. It's also worth noting that he's been accused of um, domestic abuse and has mm-hmm. a restraining order from a former. Oh Jesus! Uh, from his former wife, so th- there's a reason that this dude is not a as has not continued to be a part of the culture. Um, so cool. Glad I didn't talk about a shot that I liked and <laughs> thought like, oh, maybe this guy has some skills. So one another thing I noticed about the movie is that it just it just screams like early two thousands era. Oh yeah, I'm getting. I feel like I'm getting old old enough to know where I can kind of like pick out like early two thousands. It, it reminds me, it's like, um, if you ever watch, like, the show Tim and Eric, like, any Tim and Eric skits, it's like, yeah. it's yeah. a bunch of sort of guys wearing, like, kind of baggy business casual outfits yep. with kind of goofy, it's like late 90s, early 2000s, 
I mean, reminded me of Office Space. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was that was my next example. It's like if you're if you go back and watch Office Space, it's kind of like this. There's something about the early 2000s. It's like this kind of like goofy, like uh, business casual. I always think of that. We weirdly, this room, this whole thing could have been an elaborate setup to them breaking down and this being a very elaborate corn music video where they break out <laughs> and at the very end they're just rocking to freak on a leash or something yeah. like that yep i feel like that could be another uh another way this movie ends um but chris you actually nailed it right on it is a seven thousand dollar budget that this movie had um so i mean given that Really fucking fascinating, and yeah, um, glad we watched it. To Turns out, like maybe we could make a movie if we were you know, <laughs> good, smart, smart. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Especially if we just explain all the science with just scenes of just kind of like inaudibly muttering science. Things. <laughs> like, it was like a but like it's so funny. The first scenes like they're all in business casual. Did you notice that they're all in their garage and they're all yeah, wearing yeah. like suits? I was like, what, what are you guys yeah. doing? In your well, suit? yeah, it's. I, I think the vibe is like they all just got off their real oh, yeah. job. Pen, and pencil their pushing at yeah. the, they, at the like, big. They, they didn't have to. <laughs> They, yeah. they didn't have time to like change into yep. <laughs> into their street clothes that's before, right you know creating yeah time that's right. yeah it was their it yeah was they were all working hustle. at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac <laughs> and they had to hustle to, <laughs> hustle down to although their... did you have you seen casual clothes from the early two thousands like I think the the like baggy ass business casual clothes did we discover what a torso looked like in like two thousand and eight <laughs> yeah yeah I yep. think. I think Friends was like the best example of like how male fashion. No, uh, it, it was the 2003 NBA draft. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh yeah, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, look up that suit. Just just a piece of work. Um, I don't know how to transition into this one. Uh, we're talking about about time next. Um, Speaking oh, pri- of Carmelo Anthony, pri- primers primer shitter score uh, was twenty six, which is so remarkably high for two for two uh, <laughs> bottom of the barrel. Ones? Yeah, for two ones. Yeah. Uh, wait, what was? We've got a budget T- multiplier. T two is <laughs> no, no, there is not. T <laughs> two is thirty two. Uh, Twelve monkeys is twenty three, and primer is twenty six. T two would have gotten killed by the budget multiplier. <laughs> that's yeah, that's right. We're we're all about we're all about product, not process here at the Shitter Academy. <laughs> Academy, ooh, fancy. Um, so about time. This was your movie, Chris. Yeah, I I hadn't seen it, so I didn't choose this out of. I, I hadn't I hadn't seen Primer. He says I think distancing himself. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm not distancing myself at all. I, I really enjoyed watching this. Um, it, it wasn't what I was expecting from it, but I had heard uh-huh. it is a a problematic but fun movie about time travel. And so I went into it kind of with that frame of mind. And there were some very frustrating things about it. And then there were some like pleasant surprises. And so essentially the movie's about a family where the men in the family are time travelers. They have the ability to travel in time. And for some reason, uh, they wait until they're like 25 years old to tell them (laughs) about it or whatever. But, uh, 
they can travel, they can go into a dark space and think of any time in their lives and go back to that time. And I guess like travel back to the time at which they traveled and then like catch up from there, I guess. Um, and Donald Gleason basically, so I, what I thought this movie was going to be was basically a dude who obsessively goes back many, many times to try to perfect his courtship of Rachel McAdams. And what it really was, was he had a really great chance encounter with her, then saved his dad's friend's play, who's also his roommate, and then couldn't, for some reason, figure out a way to do both. And uh, then creepily hit on her at various parties and then the rest of the movie is just kind of like about them growing as a family and it's really more of a movie about the relationship between uh bill nye's character his father and him and i thought that was pretty great uh the the rest of it could give or take there's some like really frustrating things about it but um I, i think one of the most brilliant things is uh the hand waving of like once you have a kid it becomes a different kid if you go back before that so you can't do that um and i mean it doesn't make any sense that most things don't get affected by uh going back in the past but apparently semen does um but (laughs) but But whatever once it's born but also like it's (laughs) there's just a lot (laughs) there's a whole i came down on a side of this (laughs) conversation that i was not expecting to (laughs) I will say that, but just genetically speaking, some shit doesn't add up. Yeah, well, I I did recognize that every time he's going back while she's pregnant, he's changing the child inside her. So I assume that they it just doesn't matter ultrasounds or anything like yeah. that to check and see if it's okay. That actually, it, so that that weirdly dovetails into I think, uh, and again, I I you know this is. So much of the experience of watching the movie is like how it's been pitched to you and stuff like that, and so so for you going in saying like oh it's uh, like having heard that it's a problematic but but fun movie right and for me and granted the writing was on the wall I heard that it was a rom com so I should have thought problematic but instead <laughs> I went and be like oh cool it's a cool twist on a on a thing and then I think was jarred by some of the the things that like morally made it a more difficult watch because I wasn't expecting. All I mean, that. also the premise is. Men in the family well, are this, time travelers. This, okay, yeah. so this this is exactly the thing, right? Like, and I think you can tie it into the baby thing of like it doesn't matter that he's definitely changing which baby it is until it's the baby that he's seen. That like it's so based on his perspective and the framing of the movie. And maybe this was just the experience of watching it now rather than ten years ago when I wouldn't have been thinking about this. But watching it, it felt like there were all these hints that there was going to be another shoe that drops, that there was going to be like, because there's a lot of weirdness hinted at within the women in the family, and you think there's going to be some other reveal on the other end of it, of something that's happening on their end that, that you know, is a different thing that filters into it or things like that or, or things within the relationship. And it just never happens. And it's just, it's, it's just his experience. And everything in the movie is, is qualitatively judged based on him and his experience and what he gets out of it. And that I think was the thing that I couldn't get past with the movie was like, so, so not to jump in too many times before uh, Zach and wall get to talk, but the, the thing that 
you said where like you think there's a shoe that's going to drop um one i thought it was going to be with the sister like having actual consequences two at at the very end when he says he's taken one step further from his father my assumption was he was going to like open the door to uh rachel mcadams and be like i'm i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna keep this to myself like this is gonna be something where like oh I, i let her in on the information that oh by the way if something goes wrong i just go back and change it like that is a a very heavy secret to be withholding. Like when from we your didn't get wife. together the first time, and so I had to go yeah. back and change it. Uh, yeah, so that's 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 the most problematic thing about the movie. But the, uh, I, I think when you break it down into like this is really a pretty tender story between uh, father and son, and kind of a story about loss and how you handle loss when you have these really unique circumstances. It it kind of holds up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a movie that I, I I can't really figure out how how much I loved this movie for the great rom com aspects of it, and and still had like a little hesitation with some of the weirdness that it um, conveys with every part of it. Um, also, the fact that he can just take her back uh, just by like holding her hand is is strange. And he does that, like, what, one time? With his sister, yeah. 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 And it's like, oh, yeah, I can just do this. Why <laughs> Why isn't that how his dad proves it to him? No, 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 you just you just talk about it. Yeah, and why would he accept that? Why? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it, this is one of those movies where if you kind of dig too deep, it, it gets messy. And I think they intentionally um, didn't try to explain it there's a line in there where it's like uh, like is there a butterfly effect or anything and bill nye just goes not that i've found Uh, you can go back and change stuff and basically everything's okay yeah that this movie it didn't get into like the first you know the first kind of like the mind-bending time travel sci-fi part of time travel it just it I want that version of this Yeah, movie. right. <laughs> the primer of Yeah. The primer. <laughs> yeah, of, I would say this, this movie and Primer are kind of like the polar opposites and and, yeah. and this movie was all about like the human kind of like everyone I feel like when they're writing it they were like, "Oh, what if, you know, they started with like what if you could go back in time and like this guy could hang out with his dad before his dad died." Like, let's let's build a movie around that. Yeah. And so that that was what was most striking to me. And and it was funny how like Rachel McAdams was kind of just like a pedestrian character. Like, like she was the vehicle. The whole movie was like about his courtship of her and whatever. But like by the end of the movie, you realize you're like, wait a second. No, this is, this movie is about him and his dad. Like that, that's what it was about. And like the final scenes of him, like sort of his dad had cancer and he goes back and he can spend time with his dad before. And then there was like a final scene where like him and his dad go back and he's like a child hanging out with his dad. It's like you can tell they were going yeah. for some serious, like, instinctual That's, shit right there. And, and it That's was the a little they weird. Came to crying. It was, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. it was a little weird. I felt really emotional. And then he's a little kid, and I was like, "All right, that's a weird. Like, what's happening here? And why? Yeah, wa- that... Watching yourself as a child yeah. frolicking yeah. along." <laughs> He's not watching himself. He is no, himself. He is, he's just a, he's child. a child. But yeah, there's there's 
there's shit to unpack about that. But yes, I agree. I think yeah. I think if you look at that movie as uh, a movie that is about uh, like like a, if you if you watch that movie like it's Field of Dreams, yeah. great. <laughs> and I think right. I think you appreciate it more. And I think if you even though it's pitched as a romantic comedy, I think it runs into more barriers when you talk about it as a romantic comedy. Yeah. Um, partially just because I think the while probably similarly problematic, if not slightly more to a lot of rom-coms, um, I think we we uh, we write that off in a rom-com. And with when you inject time travel in, there there is this inherent quandary about morality and about the mm-hmm. impact of choice when you have the agency to do these things that is brought into your story whether you like it or not. And that gets a lot messier when, like, the way that it's being used has to do with him, like, finally almost getting to cheat on his wife with his or his about to be wife with his girlfriend and then decide against it and then go with back Margot yeah. Robbie. Like, yeah. Like, what are we doing? Like that yeah. or Margot Robbie and Vanessa Kirby in this movie. Also Vanessa Kirby needs to be in more shit. She's hilarious. She's in this movie. so good. Amazing. I, uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. The the comedic strokes of this movie are really good. Had totally. had my like had my favorite laugh out loud moment of this round when uh Donald Gleason and Rachel McAdams are having a frantic conversation about uh, meeting her parents for the first time when she hasn't told them that they're showing up. And the first thing he says is, no oral sex, though. (laughs) Yeah, It's very rare a movie gets me to, like, laugh fully out loud while I'm watching by myself. This movie is the... So this movie's rated R. This movie is one of the horniest movies I've ever watched in my entire life. But it's also the most PG movie yeah. about that horniness. It was a it waste of so two ratings. Weird. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm very surprised that was rated R. I had no idea. I think they also they said fuck they a couple sh- times. They shoehorned another uh, Rachel McAdams playing a taking an article of clothing off a game. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the Notebook, but yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Um. Zach, I th- I think that's a that's a really good point about the rating, and I think you could broaden it out. Like, if this movie went uh, leaned a little harder into the edge, into the mm-hmm. like the the like this is either fucked up or or edgy or racy or whatever, and we yeah, know yeah. it and we're going for it, I think that you'd have a really good movie. And the fact that it tried to sort of straddle the lane of like uh, straddle the line of doing. Um, like a little bit of uh, oh, like we're doing some some things that are probably like, but we're trying to keep this our our other foot in the like it's a it's a feel good story and it's really about fathers and sons. Like I think that was ultimately a little limiting. And had it gone a little bit further in the direction of like, hey, this dude's kind of abusing the shit out of time travel. Like, holy yeah, shit! Give me, or, give me Donald's Gle- Donald Gleason ass. Yeah, we Bill Nye ass. Or like he hooks more up, butt shots. Like, he hooks up with Margot Robbie and then has to decide whether he's going back and how he lives with himself after he's done that. Now creating a life, but instead they just kind of like they almost get to the edge of things and then they breeze past it. And it it just felt like it was it was falling short of what it could be. And that's always a hard thing in stories of like when you as the viewer can visualize the best version that you can imagine. Which sometimes is some bullshit because you're not as smart as the people who made it, but other times it's kind of disappointing where it makes it a harder watch because you're like, ah, I, I wish I, you know. Another barrier of enjoyment for me was the uh, amount of anxiety it caused me knowing that if I had this ability, um, every little 
bad interaction would cause me to run to the bathroom and <laughs> oh chris you would be the worst time traveler <laughs> absolutely L- literally I-, I think like two or three days after i watched this movie um i was in the office and uh the not a lot of people in the office these days but my boss was walking by and he was like he startled me like said good night or whatever he was like hey have a good night and i was like yeah you too man and i was just like fuck <laughs> like that was the most awkward thing i could have said right there i just called my boss man uh yeah i would have just run to a dark corner and gone back and changed that so knowing that like literally every human interaction i had i would be over analyzing going like could i have done that better um yeah i'd probably live ten thousand years worth of human life trying to not even get things perfect just like be a normal human being interacting with other humans well was the point of margot robbie's character i can't remember how it ended up with her she was kind of a side character but like was the point that no matter how hard he tried like some some things were just impossible and like he was never going to get with it it, seemed, it nope. seemed like until <laughs> but, did, but he, did, was there a moment when he like had a shot I, she was she was gonna okay, fuck him and, she invited and then, him inside, and then he decided like, not to, and instead to propose to his wife okay. that night, which, which he never talks to her about. Yeah. And he and he lives with that for the rest of his life. Like that's that's okay. the that's the day he proposed to his wife. Okay. Unbelievable. And his one of his three best men witnessed this happen. Right. Which said, so, Eric, to to roll back to what you were saying, right? Like. Again, that movie that is about the inevitability of not being with Margot Robbie yeah, right. and the inevitability of being with Rachel McAdams. Like, no matter how many times you try it, you always end up with her. Yeah. No matter how many times you try it, you never end up with her. That's a super cool movie. Right. Like, yeah. give me that movie. That would be an unbelievably interesting movie. And it just, it straddled too many of those, right? It, you had that movie. You had the sister movie. You had the, the dad movie. And you had the unrealized, like, these two parts of the families are doing different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the compromise of, like, yeah. every little thing he did just, like, wasn't good enough for me. Where, like, he was just totally fine with it, yeah. though. Yeah. Um, like, the way, that, the way they met the first time was so perfect. And he made no effort to go back and, like, recreate that. Where's he'd the rather, primer headset, man? Yeah. <laughs> he'd rather, like, okay, I need I need these two actors to learn their lines. So, like... I gotta be there. Yeah, like he couldn't. He couldn't have gone like earlier in the day and been like, hey, "No, no, no, that's fucking assholes." You guys, you guys haven't been learning your lines. Figure it out. It turns out it's not perfect. Um, I will say, I, I genuinely did love a lot of the father son parts of this movie. Um, I thought they were really well done. Um, the scene where they're playing ping pong by the end is like really great. Uh, um, hit hit me pretty hard because yeah. playing ping pong in my basement with my dad is like a big part of yeah. my relationship with my dad. Um, and it it does hit a lot of the meta meta parts of this pretty well. Um, the minutia is where it kind of loses it, but as far as a rom com, when you're kind of just looking for the big emotional points, that they did a lot of it pretty well. Um, and you know, you kind of just wanted to hang out with both of them. At points, so not 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 a perfect time travel movie. You know, skated past most of time travel within it, but uh, yeah, thought it thought it ended up pretty good. I feel like we didn't mention enough. Like Rachel McAdams is really oh so good. 
Great. Uh, her and Donald Gleason, amazing together. I, Love it. I I would not blame her for that because she's underused in the movie. But agreed. I think I think their their um, interactions with each other I think are great. I think she um, when you think of her the arc of her career and like the things that she is amazing at, she can do. Uh, not that this is necessarily the other end of the continuum, but to think about the Mean Girls, Rachel McAdams. Versus, like, the most understated... Just, she is the most normal character in this. And feels very real and, like, a, a, a human person you can encounter. But is so stable and just, like, functional and, and, and a person the whole time. Compared it reminds to- me... It reminds me of Elizabeth Olsen in Get Him to the Greek. Oh, Not yeah. Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Moss. Moss. Yeah. Yep. Just very, like... A very funny character, but like just superhuman in an otherwise absurd movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we move on to our final movie of the night? Which yeah, is uh, an... important to say a shitter score for about time <laughs> of uh, of twenty. It, it was the low one, um, and I, 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 as Chris pointed out, this scoring system definitely is biased against an about time type of movie, um, but that is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so we're going right back to you, Nate. Uh, your pick for this round was Tenet. My pick was Tenet. Um, you know, in the effort to capture both a diverse array of types of movies and uh, and to hit a bunch of different time periods, it felt worth getting you know the most recent um i may be missing something but one of the most recent uh sort of high profile time travel movies um so this is the the uh christopher nolan movie that uh famously reopened theaters to to roaring success this past august um amc back in business business. (laughs) uh um follows john david washington's character um Whose name will will come up again later? Uh, sure will. <laughs> um, as he becomes part of uh, this this sort of secret cabal tenet, and we don't know what it's about, and it has to do with time inversion. It, it's, I, have I have a hand signal, signal and, a and a word. The, yep. hand, the hand, hand signal doesn't help at all. I love how awkward people are about it throughout the film, like getting. <laughs> It Making also, sure people can see it. It happens what, like three well, times, and then it's done. It's like three times within the first hour, and then it's done. It, it's the <laughs> Beetlejuice of. <laughs> um, so this movie, I, I saw it when it came out on VOD. Um, I, I have a relationship to Christopher Nolan films, um, and sometimes that's a great relationship, and sometimes that's not a great relationship. Um, and this movie on the first watch, it fell more into the, the latter cag- category where I, I think I was thrown out by how long it was and by how dumb it was. Uh, and the second time I watched it, um, I loved it. I had a blast. I didn't think it was a better movie than the first time I had watched it. Um, but I think knowing what was going to happen, even more so than I knew the first time when they were trying to convince me that something was a twist, even though it was very obviously the only possible outcome, um, being able to just enjoy the the Nolan of it all and how uh, well shot the movie was and how um, 
you know, interesting little cameos would be, how wonderful it is to always see Michael Caine on screen, um, how well choreographed the action is, things like that really were able to sort of rise to the forefront with this sort of ambiance of uh, time travel where that didn't need to be sort of the, the centerpiece of it. But when it was, it's a fucking mess of a movie. And I feel like that's as good a way to hand it off to Eric as, as anything. <laughs> yeah, th- this movie made me so mad. <laughs> I talked to Zach about this, and like I got like two-thirds of the way through it. and uh, you, had to, you had to take a break. You had to take a break, and then I... I remember saying to Zach, I was like, I have about a half hour left, but I guarantee you it's not going to make me less mad. Um, but I was wrong a little bit. Um, and I'll tell you why. The, <laughs> Pincer movements. It all, yeah. <laughs> basically that. I mean, I think it all came together. Sometimes it's like I, I realized that the movie, I feel like they, they reverse engineer. Like sometimes they... Literally? Like yeah. literally. Well, <laughs> no pun intended. Nope. No pun intended here. But... They come up with like a crazy ending or like a crazy plot device, and then they build like a premise behind the entire movie. You know what I mean? Like, like that whole thing where it, it all turns out it was this reverse. I just thought the the rever- What do you call it? The temporal pincer. Temporal, temporal pincer. pincer movement. I, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool, and, and the way like there was individual scenes that were temporal pincer movements. And a pretty good Dutch boy contender yeah. too. Yeah. And it turns out the whole movie was a temporal pincer movement. It was like that yeah. was the yeah. kind of reveal where it's like his future self working with his past self, kind of like manipulating his past self to do certain things. And so that was kind of like the inception moment. I do wish they hadn't literally said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the whole thing was a temporal pincer. Yeah. The whole like, thing I is could have pieced the that together loud. Yeah. But yeah. the problem with this movie is <laughs> the you entire not... thing. Did you not see the very obvious, very tiny lanyard on Robert Pattinson's backpack <laughs> yeah. that is the entire plot of the whole movie? That's right. Yeah, yeah. That, but but I did like the ending because that reminded me of uh, I think was Inception was another Christopher Nolan yeah. like it was like a big kind of like big mind bending thing. So it did finish strong, but th- there were certain things that really made me mad. One is that we've talked about like how I look for the tech. Like, all right. Well, What's their tech explanation here? And, and their tech explanation was that they just said the term reverse entropy. Do you, does anybody remember that? <laughs> oh, my God. That made me so mad. Like, it's just, it's a bank vault. I don't see what your problem is. It's a yeah. bank vault, and what you a... go in the bank vault, and you come out the bank vault, and you can't breathe oxygen. <laughs> but, like, yeah. they sort of explain it very quickly at the beginning. Like, there's, like, a lady in a lab coat, and she's like, well, it's, you know, it's reverse entropy. And I'm just like, what a reverse entropy like what the hell does that mean uh excuse me the response is whoa (laughs) (laughs) yeah so they they explain it all the way with just that term it's like they they somehow so that that kind of you know that was the part that i could not get enough of uh the i mean nate and zach will vouch for this like i just couldn't get enough of the it had you have to have you have to visualize that it's already happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're, and you're not so dropping. Seamless. It's so seamless to then do it. Like that. Imagine you have to have dropped it. Imagine. Like, okay. Totally. Cool. Life, got thinking, that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. <laughs> like if I, if you told me I had to get out of this seat and, and the only way I could do it was if I visualized having already been out of the seat, it would I take would you half a here, second, right? It would take me four hours. 
So another thing, and this was just more of like a larger plot thing that kind of pissed me off about the movie, and it's that, the, so the entire plot, as far as I could tell, was that the future was mad at the past, and they were, they were, yeah, they were the trying past. to punish what are, the past. What are you, a global warming denier? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite it's, of like... Like boomers being yeah. like, hmm. You're right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was and, no. It's they get crazy. They literally say it is because of climate change. Yeah. Like, look at what you did to the world. <laughs> right, so yeah. we're gonna end you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it just made me think that, like, kind of like we were talking about earlier about reverse engineering. No, pl- no pun intended. Uh, that like you build the plot, and it's like the writers got halfway through this like complicated as fuck like backwards entropy reverse entropy plot line. And then they had to stop and be like, wait a second. Why are the future people doing this? <laughs> like, <laughs> they had to like answer that basic question. Like, wait a second. Why are the future people doing this? And then they're like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come up with a one-sentence explanation, and we're never going to talk about it again. It's like that. No, no, no. A, a one-sentence explanation and a hand signal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, that was kind of what pissed me off as well. I was like, I'm not really sure what any of this means. How, how do you feel about um, oxygen going in reverse and uh, fire turning into ice? <laughs> Howard's cold. Oh, yeah, that was annoying. <laughs> Yet again, it's, another movie with more Geostorms than Geostorm <laughs> is all I will say. Um, it, it's it's just the – I really – so I watched this movie for the first time and thought it was flawed but okay. And when I rewatched it, I actually liked it a lot less. Um, I thought it was pretty nonsensical. Um, basically, every performance was pretty wooden. I really like John David Washington. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Elizabeth Dibnicki and um, Robert Pattinson, and I thought they were all kind of overly subdued. And I was kind I of think Robert Pattinson's fine in this movie. I think he's probably the best performance. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I do think Kenneth Branagh. I was going like to say shots at Kenneth Branagh playing a, a wonderful Bond villain. Yeah. No, no, no. I like. I was. Yeah. T- Taking back what I had said, I, I think Kenneth Branagh is pretty good. Maybe maybe he's the best performance in this movie. Yeah, he's I, a pretty serious actor. I didn't even realize that, but yeah, he. Yeah. Oh yeah, he played uh, the villain in Wild Wild West. Huh. And, and it has it ha- it has ideas. <laughs> it's pretty serious. Also directed it has, Thor. <laughs> yeah. Um, Interesting. I didn't know that. It it has ideas and scenes that are really cool. The. The fight choreography in the forward backward fight in the Freeport. Yep. Also, Freeports <laughs> coming up uh, um, <laughs> was awesome. That choreography is so fucking cool. How they made it look like someone is fighting someone in future and in reverse at the same time. Absolutely incredible. Um, every other part of the the stylistic and design choices of the movies was absolutely hideous. And I am so mad for them ending the final scene on a desolate wasteland that looks like it came straight out of Halo. It's like, pick a more boring visual background for the climax of this movie. It's like, where where are they? Like, what are they, what are they going Stalf for? 12. It's so <laughs> ugly. <laughs> It, it I don't think the like, people of Stalst 12 would appreciate you talking about their tone <laughs> like that. 
It's like p- pick pick a place that doesn't exist and couldn't be less interesting. Okay, the final fight scene will be there. I just feel like, like as the person who proposed Goldeneye, I don't think you have the legs to stand <laughs> on. There's a this. giant satellite dish there, Nate. That's way cooler. <laughs> Did you not see it collapse in real life like a month ago? Boy, have you not seen Cloud City? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So for me, this this falls under the like Christopher Nolan cool ideas that he didn't take the whole way. Um, which I think I think Interstellar is probably the best example of that, where like he had a cool thing and then did way too much other shit. Where like I loved the scenes like maybe not the idea but like i love the scenes where john david washington is going forward well he's going in reverse but you are with him in his frame of reference and the world is moving backwards and there's some of that like elizabeth debicki's in there as well like there's there's some scenes of that i needed more of that shit i needed so much more of that shit i think that's so cool um I mean, like, even to a lesser extent, like, Inception, like, you could do anything with Dream Worlds, and, like, he had to settle on a few things, and he chose a fucking hotel. Um, like, there's just oh, so much more interesting I, stuff. I'm way more mad at Freeports than I am at Hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah, same. Like I, like I said, lesser extent. But, like, uh, Interstellar, like, you could have chosen so many different worlds. Like, any fucking world... And he chose like a fucking weird like rock ice planet. Like, it's a water I love planet. The ones, it's an ice planet. I love the dude. The en- the <laughs> end of Inception is my my fucking biggest pet peeve with that. It's like, coming up. Well, <laughs> next episode, <laughs> we we'll just get an icy, desolate Frank Lloyd Wright house that we're robbing. So I- I liked I liked that world. I didn't like it as the final boss world. Like I love the idea of like okay, let's do a a goldeneye level and yeah. like use that as the, but like as the boss level world where the final thing happens. Nah. Yeah. But Chris Nolan really good at stuff. Some stuff. Not great at yeah, getting right. all of the way there. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that's I think that's exactly what it is, and I think it then then as with any of these depends on what you're going in wanting to watch or what you're going in sort of prioritizing, right? And if you're going in wanting to see something that looks fucking cool, sick, watch thirty minute increments of this movie sort of spread out across the whole <laughs> thing, and then walk. Um, if you're wanting something that's coherent, fuck off. This is yeah. not this is not your film. But did did we but, find out if the first scene matters at all? No, the the like opening scene. Oh, no, it's just the, how he the gets bank into robbery tenet, or except, whatever. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. no, no. It was a opera. Yeah, no, the it was, opera sorry. robbery. It was, yeah. it was an or it was, it was an, an orchestral orchestra. performance of an opera because it's an opera house. I I kept expecting it to come back around to that, and it like it gets mentioned one more time, but it never really comes back. No, well, the the I mean, the importance is Pattinson is back there. Spoilers, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, wasn't he the one who like he's the one pulls who, who him out pulls, of the way? Yeah, who, who pulls him out of the way and then shoots the so, guy. Yeah, so, yeah. so my question is, so that bullet hole has just been sitting in that chair for how long? <laughs> and nobody patched it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's just chilling. Just <laughs> well, it's it's only there if you you know it's there later on and can visualize it. It's a reverse uh, not, bullet not hole. Not to get 
Yeah. So, but in theory, but but also if if like someone could have painted over it, and then at some point it would have just become unpaid if it was moving in reverse, right? The time at which it was painted over, then when it was going the other direction, it would then be unpainted. Hard to paint over a bullet hole. Yeah, I don't know how that works. <laughs> Whatever. Reverse entropy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you have to picture having been painted over in the future. Whoa. Um, yeah, dumb, dumb movie. The, I'll that, tell you that, that, that the scene that jumped the shark for me was not even like time travel related, which, you know, that a lot, I had plenty to be mad about. I had plenty to be mad about that. But it was like, so the relationship between the oligarch and his wife, I mean, it was obviously like toxic and he's abusive and all that, but there's this moment. It's like this, it was like this, uh, James Bond esque moment where they're all like out on the, on these like sailboats. And it was just like, somehow somehow they all knew how to like sail these crazy sailboats. Like John David Washington's Mm -hmm. just like turning this, I don't know. It was was a weird scene. Well, if you're going to play a billionaire, you have to know how to be a billionaire. But then like halfway through, as they're out on the water, like the wife has her big movement against her husband and like, like rips him off of the thing and he like flies into the water and like that was her attempt to kill him. I was like, he just fell in the water. Like why? Why did he just like and swim back to the Everybody treats it as if he's definitely dead. Yeah. Like like, we're not for John David Washington. Yeah. That was like the jump the shark moment for me. I was like, this is And John David Washington had to go in the water and fish him out. And then after that five minute increment it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie nothing. he also later says it wasn't it wasn't her yeah it had nothing to do. it was a it was a seatbelt belt malfunction yeah. i don't even know what it the was fuck such that was a about. weird scene i was like how did that make the cut like how did that also make that, that scene the least audible scene that scene is unintelligible you can't hear a fucking thing <laughs> that no happens sense. during that scene i was like can he not swim like why was he in danger why he just <laughs> A lot of boat usage for a dude who can't, who who turns into the wicked witch when he hits water. Also, can we we talk about the fact that the way Elizabeth Dimnicki disposes of his body is just slides him on sunscreen (laughs) (laughs) on the edge. Check off sunscreen. That was, I will say. That was something that aged very well on the second watch. Because the first time, I'm like, what the fuck is she doing with the sunscreen? And the second time she does it, I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think I had, I I didn't have an idea of, like, that's what she was doing it for. But, like, I knew she was planning something. Because, like, she she was there to fucking kill him. Yeah. But I thought maybe she was going to, like, going going Uh, back to the head first off the The equation? Like, what? That's that's the big like destructive device of all. Oh yeah, and she she jumps the shark on that too. She literally jumps the shark. Yeah, like what what are we talking about? It's so dumb. Yeah, I think this movie is bad. Yeah, I I genuinely think this movie is bad. Yeah, I I I don't think it's bad, but I think it is deeply mediocre and therefore fun wow. or not, depending on which direction you want to go with it. I think I think a movie that fun. looks this good is hard to categorize <clears throat> as wholesale bad. It took a lot of skill and ability to it. make this movie. Oh, yeah, I, well, yeah. when a movie looks as good as Suspiria, you say that's not good. <laughs> well, give me give me real barbed wire, and then we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to look like my barbed wire pit, and if it doesn't, I'm not buying it. Um, so one one thing I will add that I did like is. 
I like John David Washington. I, I saw him in yep. another movie recently. I think it was Black Klansman. He's like the protagonist. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I knew some. He's... I knew some funny things about him. One, I knew that he was a former NFL player. I remember watching Black Klansman. Was he? He was. He Wait, was what? drafted no, he by was... the St. Louis Rams. He was like a former running back, and oh, then shit. and then later in life, yeah. became an actor. <laughs> and then the other thing I learned just yesterday is that he's Denzel Washington's son. Wait, wait! Yeah. You knew yeah, he—that's he, that's the main thing. You knew he was a undrafted <laughs> yeah, Rams running yeah. back before he was—he yeah. was Denzel's son. I swear to God, that's it's like, incredible. It's like what, what Wikipedia <laughs> page did you go to? Yeah. No, well, it was just like a really big draft yeah. board where he's got like his draft board going on. He's like, oh, I can't believe John David Washington went undrafted. Right. It, it, it's like higher up on the Wikipedia page. Like I got like four lines in, and that's it, all it I got. It genuinely is. Yeah, it's like it's the John first David thing Washington say. is an American actor, producer, and former American football running back. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Hey, I appreciate that. Like, it's it, he's not like basing his his world on his father's yeah, accomplishments. Yeah, totally. He's yeah. he's a very good performer on his own. In his I'm own glad life. I didn't know that because then I sort of was evaluating him. And I just think he's like a pretty. He seems to play like the kind of badass protagonist, like. He doesn't speak all that often. Like in Black Klansman, he was the same way. He's kind of like the kind of like plain spoken, just kind of badass. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked him like a he has, lot he has, in Black Klansman. Yeah. I thought he, he has gravitas yeah, in Black yeah. Klansman and he's super funny. Yeah. Like it's it's a really versatile role and he's really He reminds me of almost like a Clint Eastwood style. Like he's kind of just like the sort of badass um, guy, you know, kind of plain spoken protagonist. Yeah, just less racist. Yeah, right. <laughs> but just not Clint Eastwood. That's right. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I will say a different a different iteration of that, which I know Zach and I disagree on the movie, but I think what we mostly agree on is his performance in, in Malcolm and Marie is like uh, goes to a different goes in a different direction than this, and is some of his his most interesting work as a performer. Um, whatever you you think about that movie, I think he is really phenomenal in that. I mean, he ate that mac and cheese just like spoiler a, like a champ. <laughs> Um, I've I've watched the trailer for that like three times and still haven't watched it. It'll that, is that this year? That's out this year. Great. Yeah, it's on yeah. Netflix. It's yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff these days. Damn, he's popping yeah, he's up. blown up. And he should be. And he's great. The, I I, yeah, I wanted to be more stuff. Yeah. I I think uh, yeah. I, think I was just gonna say like this is not an a, incredibly thankless role in this movie. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's there are actors who would do this much better. Like there there are probably a few who could do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. um yeah. So, but like, it's it's like Leo in Inception. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say Leo is really good in Inception because I think he's better in Inception than John David Washington. Absolutely, and I think also, I, I, I think, think also so the character is more interesting because I was just t- doing the sort of catalog, and and while many Christopher Nolan protagonists are boring as shit, they usually have motivation. And he just which is straight usually up a does dead it. wife. Yeah, right. It's usually a dead wife. <laughs> At least he doesn't but have a, a dead thing. wife. He doesn't have anything. Like he really doesn't have any motivation other than the. the... He doesn't have a name. Well, that's <laughs> not coming <true>. up later. <laughs> coming up. So I, I I have two two last things to say about this movie. Um, one, the funniest line that's ever been in a Christopher Nolan movie is when they're explaining what Tenet is to Elizabeth Dibnicki. And then everyone will die, and she goes, "Even my son <laughs> <laughs> is is just Christopher Nolan not knowing how to write to a fucking T." It is 
beautiful. Wait, my my favorite my favorite line is when Robert Pattinson, when he first meets John David Washington, says they're explaining the mechanics of like getting in and out of this like Freeport fiftieth story. Oh no, not the Freeport. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, when coming up <laughs> when he's going to meet with like the arms dealer and. Robert Pattinson calls it bungee jumpable. <laughs> and John David Washington turns back to him and says, I don't think bungee jumpable is a word. <laughs> like, why does that need to be in the film? How did that make, make the cut? You know what I mean? Like, what that's in like, the world? That's like Christopher Nolan writing it into the script and then, like, an editor, yeah. like, that's a note that an yeah, editor just wrote. Like... He's like, yeah, that'd be a good line. Let's put that in there. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the exact opposite. The editor crossed it out and Nolan was like, no, I'm keeping that in there. <laughs> so I also had to rewatch that scene, the bungee jump scene, like several yeah. times. Where did you catch that? Where it's like they shot up to get to the top of that building, and it yeah. pulled them up. There's a real like physics issue yeah. with that. Where like, well, like the first time I watched it, I thought it was just a slingshot, and it shot them up, and then they sort of like crouching tiger, hidden dragon, like ran up the side, and I was like, <laughs> I got so mad. A, I was like, <laughs> it's a grappling hook with a bungee yeah. cord, and yeah. the physics does not work okay. out. No okay. matter. No, that'll break. <laughs> Wait, explain, explain why it doesn't. Because don't they crank themselves down here so they tighten it? Well, it, yeah, the it, pulls them. Maybe it pulls them up. It's like a string yeah. that's attached. And, yeah, yeah. Because they do the yeah, crank so on their end as opposed to like as opposed to it being uh, like they get the torque. Like they make it taut so that then when they release, then they, they get sort of yanked up. They get pulled up the line. Okay. I just like my – I, I missed that part. Like, But another problem with that, it's like what material do you have that you can crank tightly enough yeah, right. to jettison yourself up that far where you can precisely calibrate it so that you don't shoot like 10 stories above it or below and the rope doesn't snap. Yeah. Um, there are issues. I mean, they're, they're the like, biggest yeah. logical <laughs> flaw of the movie. <laughs> right. But uh, at I, my first glance, I thought they literally, it was a slingshot and they just yeah. got up and they just ran along the side of the building. Like, like literally like, uh, crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and I got really yeah. mad. I got really mad. I was like, this makes no sense. Those are the types of things where, like, I'll I'll, I'll dog ear that yeah. and be like, okay, that was yeah. funny, like, whatever. It doesn't bother me too much. Um, I will, I want to end on a, a a high note for this movie. The Ludwig Göransson score is awesome. It's good. It is really, Coming up really in a good. few episodes. Um, Undefeated. It. It propels the movie way more than the script or dialogue does. Partially because so. you can hear <laughs> it better. <laughs> Incredible. Um, and true. And very true. I, I, I really loved that part of it. I mean, the parts that are actually set in real life and not a Halo map from 2004 are quite good. Um I don't Honestly, know that I agree with you. I would go almost the exact opposite. I think the, dude, the, 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 the only the Halo recycled scenes. the planet from Starship yeah. Troopers. Dude, it is the ugliest fucking ending to a big budget movie I've ever seen. It's uh, brutalist architecture. Like who knows? Where? What, like the, they say, uh, <laughs> Stalsk Twelve. <laughs> <laughs> they, say, they say fashion is cyclical. <laughs> Salt Twelve got to be like the dumb name award. Was that one? Salt Twelve coming up? 
<laughs> oh man, yeah, we do need to create the Stalls Twelve uh, <laughs> Award for dumbest name for a fictional place. We have the Dom Cobb for fictional person. We have the Dutch Boy for fictional science. Now we need Stalls Twelve. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, which is primarily, you know, run down. Uh, I think it's just plaster and rebar is what the buildings are made out of. Yeah, it's it's stucco. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, a lot of stucco. <laughs> uh, but you know, if you blow a building up and unblow a building up at the same time, it still blows up. Yeah, I'm curious about how that yeah. works. Just, well, it's a it's a temporal yeah, pencil. All right. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our war. <laughs> all right, Nate, what is your uh the shitter? What, <laughs> the shitter the score. Shitter, yeah. It was a 25 shitter. This is one conversely to about time. I think this is one that benefits more from the categories of the shitter, whereas about time is hurt more disproportionately, so this would probably be a little lower and about time would be a little higher were I better at making the shitter. Yeah, uh, I think this movie is actually kind of bad. So, kind of. Yep. Um, so, do you want to move into the awards, or do you want to move into the our top five or six time travel movies? Let's continue to discuss. I, well, I don't know, Nate. You have a different idea. Like, I think it makes more sense to flow into discussing these same films and then go into different movies. Sure. Um, so do you want to start with our F. Gary Gray? Uh, while sure. are you aware of this this sacred tradition on the podcast? So I'm generally aware of like the award categories, um, but I'll let you guys. I, I, so I'll let you, you guys. You asked lead. you asked zero questions, and I like that you're like, all right. We were like, yeah, he, he's got <laughs> it. Yeah, <laughs> more more than like, yeah, I don't care about any of this shit. <laughs> Yeah. So um, this is about F. Gary Gray, the very talented filmmaker who made incredible films like Friday and other movies like Law Abiding Citizen. Um, and it's a basically a fuck, Mary kill of the movies that we watch mm-hmm. for this round. Yep. Uh, so, Chris, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. I So this one's kind of tough. It is. So I combine uh, two for one category. Right, you can yeah, so because my, we have an extra, so you you've yeah. got one even if you include the law-abiding citizen provision. My F is primer. Um, I, I think it's like it fits, but also like I would kind of want to go back and watch that more than once, maybe over the years. But I think like getting it getting it out of the way one time, as long as you're allowed to watch the the primer primers, uh, I, I think that works. My Gary is T two. I think that's yeah. that's a non controversial take. And my Gray, I wrote down Tenet and crossed it out and put about time because I think I'm more on the Nate side where I feel like if I if I went back and and watched it again, I'd probably enjoy it a little bit more. And I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill it. Like I don't want to. I, I was totally fine watching About Time one time, and I don't think I need to revisit it. Yeah, first we had the exact same list. Um, primer, fuck. I, I feel like I can replace the void of not getting to spend more time with Primer via YouTube theories about <laughs> what Primer was and get a similar... <laughs> like, between that and the Wikipedia, I'll feel pretty fulfilled in the same way that I was with the movie. 
Um, T2, Mary, kill, uh, about time. Uh, so for me, I have joint Fs with Primer and About Time. I think they both serve their purpose really well um, and are kind of um, lighthearted views of... Or not lighthearted, but like specific views of what time travel means to these specific genres. Uh, Gary is T2, obviously, the best movie we saw. My gray is uh, 12 Monkeys, and I have a law-abiding citizen. Which is Tenet. Ooh. I think that movie... By the way, law, the definition of law-abiding citizen is uh, I don't ever want to see this movie again, and I don't think anyone else should watch this movie again. I, I agree with that. Tenet, Tenet is but a free very ports. bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's that's like a lukewarm take, but like we're going to react like it's a hot take. <laughs> it... <laughs> It's a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, I just I think we just differed on, on like what kind of bad movie it was. Mm-hmm. So just totally. just to add to that, I, I didn't know fully how the rules work, but I, <laughs> well, I, I because can tell they're you, stupid rules I, and they don't make sense. I can tell you that I put Tenet for both Gray and Law Abiding Citizen. <laughs> 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 so I second that, Zach. Yeah, uh, and and I'll and I'll uh, yeah I'll just one up you there one. Yeah, I don't I don't want to ever see it again. I don't want everyone to, anyone to ever see it again. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, um, I assume you kind of have a similar thing of for F primer about time i'd i'd be wildly confused if you didn't have t2 as yeah i know and, and but at the last minute i decided i was thinking maybe it's good to switch because i would like to watch primer again and i think it almost is necessary to watch at least twice <laughs> and you and you've already had the experience with t2 i've seen t2 i grew up watching that it's my favorite movie of all time yeah and uh yeah. i'm so glad that we included it good yeah. good choice yeah um, so let's go into some of the awards. Um, so the Bob Odenkirk Award. So, Wall, to give you some background, this came because Bob Odenkirk appeared in both Little Women and um, Dolomite. Dolomite is my mm. name at like the 75% mark in mm. both movies and just showed up out of fucking nowhere. Okay, where when was he in Dolomite? I think I remember that. They were both 2019. Yeah, so they, it was like. I remember most like of the cameo. way through the movie. Okay, yeah. yeah, and and we were and we were like all watching these movies like around the yeah. same time because I, like I don't know if Dolomite came out around the same time as Little yeah. Women, but I feel like we all watched them around the same time, and it was very jarring to see <laughs> Bob Odenkirk show up very late in two straight. Movies. The, the <laughs> ultimate one is Little Women, where it's like it's a story about you know the marsh family and the the mother and the and the neighbors and everything and then fucking bob odenkirk kicks the fucking door the, the in. dad is an off-screen character for the entire movie and it's like oh he's probably gonna die in the war like who knows and then he just comes back who knows bob everyone odenkirk. who's ever read a book from 1913 until now it's hilarious any book <laughs> Have you seen the, um, there's a Bob Odenkirk like action movie coming out soon? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! We oh are my aware. God! I can't wait. Don't you worry. We're gonna have to do a whole podcast yeah, to uncork that. The only person we pay more attention to than Bob Odenkirk is Gerard Butler. So <laughs> the person on Nate's shirt. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my Bob Odenkirk for this round is Aaron Taylor Johnson. It's not. It's really not close. Yeah. I had Aaron Taylor Johnson as my 
as my two, but I figured you guys would pick him, so I went Christopher Maloney. Yeah. With hair. Which, like, at the time was not a Bob Odenkirk at all because he I wasn't mean, an SVU I, yet. I honestly but don't now, think that matters. I No, it doesn't. But now going back and, like, Christopher Maloney fucking showed up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that was a big deal for me. Yeah. Uh, Eric, do you have one, or is this a very us-specific award? I, <laughs> I didn't research it much further than, like, just Bob Odenkirk, and I just love Bob Odenkirk. I wish I wish that he could be the guy. I wish that he could win this one, but... He often is. I would, I would love if we just had guests come on and, and talk about, like, what role should Bob Odenkirk have <laughs> he, played? He could be a whole podcast, because he's got that whole, like, uh, he's in the Tim and Eric world, like, the... Oh yeah, good comedies. He's pretty versatile, and he was like a writer for a long time. He just wrote a bunch of yeah. stuff. And yeah, he he wrote he, a Mister Show this, for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the one with him and uh, David Cross. Yeah, right? him and David Cross. So he's got like the awkward comedy early two thousands thing, and then he's got the whole Breaking Bad thing, and then now, and then Better Call Saul. I just that's a great movie. So he's got yeah. a lot going yeah. on. So good, so so good. Um. For the Lakeith Award, which is the person who shows up in all of our movies, yeah, uh, I I went with Margot Robbie. Hmm. She shows up in Focus. Focus. Shows up in, <laughs> Shout out to Gabe. Gabe <laughs> yeah. uh, she is sneakily uh, big short. She was in. Yep. Um, she, she's yeah. been in a for a second a bunch of our as Margot Robbie. Yeah, as Margot Robbie, but she's kind of popped up in a bunch of uh, uh, different films here. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's incredible. So shout out to Mario Robbie. I had Bruce Willis's butt. <laughs> what what about Arnold's dick? <laughs> I mean, Arnold's dick wasn't in Pulp Fiction, so. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Might have been in the store. It's, yeah. it's possible. Uh, and as a as a as a backup, I had Dean Norris, who yeah. showed up yeah. in Terminator Two. Uh, in a very small role and was also in uh, Starship Troopers. Yeah. Shouts to the Breaking Bad universe that uh, links to the Bob Odenkirk. I had uh, Pattinson, uh, Devil All the Time, yeah. and then and Tenet. Uh, yeah, Willis's butt. Uh, and Clemens Posey. Um, who was oh, yeah, in, Clemens Posey. Yeah, who was in uh, 127 Hours. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. She's in way better movies. Yes. Um, I I think we might have a universal one for this next, but uh, we have the Dom Cobb slash Harge Aired Award for the stupidest fucking name. And it's the protagonist. Mm-mm. All right. You, you say your answer, and then I'm going to be very mad about Christopher Nolan for a second. So I mean, you're going to be mad at him twice, <laughs> and you're not going to think it's stupid. It's Sir Michael Caine as Sir Michael Crosby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's great. He is in the credits as Sir Michael Crosby. Oh, God. (laughs) Just play yourself. Absolutely fucking not. We'll just give you money. Just play yourself. (laughs) His role served no purpose. (laughs) Dude, the thing that makes me most upset is that in the movie, uh, Nolan made John David Washington say, no, I'm the protagonist. I'm the protagonist of this story <laughs> multiple times. Because Priya that, says it, it to him. It would make such a good drinking Priya game. says it to him a bunch of times. She's yeah. like, we have the antagonist, yeah. and you're the protagonist, and we're looking for a protagonist. She's like, what are you 
doing? And it's wonderful. I hate it so much. I hate it so much. <laughs> so your your feeling about this movie has accelerated so much over the last half hour. <laughs> From like it's a it's an okay, not great movie to it's such a yeah. bad it's movie like, and no one should like ever wipe violence. this Zach, stain yeah. from Zach's the earth. Like, I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah. This is like when we bullied Nate into making uh, Mulholland Drive a five star movie. <laughs> Um, we have the Rebe- Rebecca Pigeon Award. I actually don't have one for this. I do. This I is do. the worst accent award. Um, Ooh. Nate, go ahead. My, mine was for David Morse as Dr. Peters, the, um, the pandemic releasing dude in 12 Monkeys. I'm not sure that he's doing accent work, <laughs> but he sounds like he's never said words before. So I'm giving him the award because th- that dude's mouth is not connected to the stuff that's coming out. Checks out. Mine's along the same lines. I have Arnold Schwarzenegger as a man with a, a penis. Robot. I know now why you cry. <laughs> why, why does he have an Austrian accent? Um, that makes no sense plot wise. Like, <laughs> you don't think Austrians like most... created Judgment Day? <laughs> Checks out. But also. The other robot doesn't have an Austrian. If they wanted real continuity, he's an older model. A... He's an older model, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had the Austrian one first off. <laughs> <laughs> but like most uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, they never address his accent for any reason, which I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, join us next week when we talk about Jingle All the Way and <laughs> and yeah. Kindergarten Cop. Um. And then I think our final award of the night uh, is the James Woods Award for the biggest piece of shit. No, we got two more. We got the Dutch Boy. Oh, yeah. Um, do you want to do Dutch Boy now? Let's do Dutch Boy it's now. It's Skynet. I have the box. Oh. In, in Primer, where everything... Also, what is Primer? <laughs> <laughs> Why is the movie called Primer? Don't ask questions. Uh, yeah, in a movie where everything is so meticulous about, you know, the the mechanics the of what, yeah, of, of everything that and how things work, they just call the device that allows them to time travel. It's made out of saran the, wrap and like PVC pipes. And freon. Honestly, honestly charitable to call it a box. <laughs> that is there's some freon. There's freon. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Uh, I went. I went with Freeports. I know that they're neither scientific <laughs> nor fictional, but it's Freeports. Yeah. Uh, Skydet, the ultimate, the ultimate one. Um, and it's the internet in how, the sky, Zach. I don't understand why you don't get this. Which is also how Chris and I have bullied our fantasy football league for the past five years. <laughs> Wait, so Zach created a a spreadsheet that just like automates very subjective rankings of teams, and we do like anytime anyone complains about it, we're like, yeah, take it up with the sky. <laughs> okay. So, what is Dutch Boy? What's the award for? I get oh, it. so so Dutch Boy uh, is represented behind me in this photo, or I guess this painting that was. Uh, given to me for my birthday by these fine people. Um, 
It is from the movie Geostorm. The American Crush. This is a good start. This is a good start. <laughs> in which the, the premise is climate change has caused uh, such strange weather events that they had to craft this kind of net around the globe yeah network of satellites oh okay yeah it's it's an it's an interconnected network of satellites that prevents these climate changes from happening and they called this network dutch boy (laughs) (laughs) referring to the uh the boy in dutch lore who puts his finger in the dam Hmm. and uh, I'm sorry, it's actually the... not called a dam. <laughs> it's called a dike. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Thank you, Nate. Uh, for... Well, I need you to watch that movie because it it's a sci-fi movie that they don't make it fun for like <laughs> 85% of the movie. They just kind of make it this miserable plot of like, it's a movie called Geostorm, and they don't have like fun Geostorms. Oh, it just like gets oh, cold it's, where it's Brazil, hot. and it's cold. <laughs> oh no! I think we need a cold where it's hot award. <laughs> there needs yeah, to be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really care what it is. I just feel like it needs to be represented because it really takes up a big, a big space in our collective cultural consciousness. The cold where it's hot award for the worst thing in a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is this uh, like the day after tomorrow? Is it like a climate change. basically yeah but like worse been. <laughs> yeah because yeah. my seeing new york frozen over right. and everything like that's yeah. kind of cool yeah this was just like fleeting moments in different parts of the world where the weather's just different than you're expecting yeah. <laughs> my favorite thing about the day after tomorrow is it's like the the leading enemy that's kind of like that driving the whole plot is this like pack of wolves. It's like, it's like, <laughs> I was going to say, it's the wolves. Like, that's like the, the, they are the like enemy that drives the entire plot. It's like <laughs> yeah. this pack of wolves. <laughs> it's one of the two, two I was, famous I was going to jokingly, yeah. Yeah. I was gray. going to jokingly jump in and say yeah. wolves, yeah. but you, right. yeah. you got it. Yeah. Uh, do you want to, do you want to hit our final award before we talk about our favorite time travel movies? Wait, wait. So Let's just to, to close the loop on it. So what is the Dutch Boy Award then? Is it to the it's it's for it's for the dumbest name for like a ah, scientific okay. thing. So my ah, my it. honorable mention is one that you mentioned while which reverse, is reverse yeah, because that's gonna be that yeah. was gonna be my with, vote was you know reverse yeah. entropy. No, so actually, let me rephrase my answer. My answer is the hand signal <laughs> for time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. For all the people watching this podcast. <laughs> Um, so now we go to our final award, the James Woods Award for the biggest piece of shit award. Uh, Nate, who do you uh, have? I have Tim Lake from uh, About Time. That is Donald Gleason's character. Um, homie uh, proposes to his wife immediately after almost cheating on her and then decides that that's the moment. He uh, repeatedly goes back in time to sleep with her multiple times in a row to try and sort of have it go the way that he wants it to go. Um, He changes a number of things in their history and never tells her. Uh, And that's like their babies, like their babies. Um, So, yeah, fuck that shit. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's my James. Good answer. Chris. Uh, I have all apocalyptic event creators. 
Anyone who oh. created an apocalyptic event in any of these movies. So my, and I'm not joking. My answer is basically everybody. <laughs> uh, because literally anyone who fucks with time travel ruins everything for everyone. There are multiple events that cause three to five billion deaths <laughs> in this yeah, right. state and, of movies. And Nate picked a guy who was, like, almost unfaithful <laughs> to his wife. Here, no, okay, but here's my argument. I think in all those cases, right, people do a thing, like, like Dyson, right? You look at him, he does this whole thing. He is directly responsible for the death of billions of people. And was following a normal... Like, he couldn't have known that eventuality. And once he did, he changed it. With Tim Lake, he's doing shit that's all really grounded. And all... Like, you know it's fucked up. I will he's not aware. have this. This <laughs> no, is not... Except, you cannot argue your way out of this. I 100 Ponytail guy I is trying to murder... Everyone. <laughs> the whole world. I'm just saying, I think that there's a difference between... Uh, I think if you, I'm, I, yeah, the, the the evil people like Robert Patrick is worse, right? But I think that there's a difference if you're talking consequences of a thing. In this instance, right, where you're talking about in the plot of the thing, that person doing something that is so that leads to a series of events beyond their control, like oh, like I'm a not global blame... pandemic that keeps us inside for a year. Yeah, sure. Or more. Yeah, okay. Okay, so he's probably the biggest piece of shit. That one's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that one. It's him, then it's the dude who almost cheated on his wife with Margot Robbie and then decided to propose to her. And then we get into the people who created the Terminators. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't believe you. Um, all right, so let's move on to our top five to six. Did we finalize on the number? I think we got to six. Also, we're getting into, like, old episodes of this podcast territory with length of time we've been on It's amazing. Um, So let's do our top six time travel movies. Uh, Wall, do you want to start us off? So we're going to go six to one, going around in a circle. Sure. So not including... Well, and also we're going to talk about it when we get to the highest that is ranked. So, like, if someone says, coming up later... Yeah. You don't need to intro. Okay. Or yeah. But yes, it, it can include the movies that we watch. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like Cause I had a couple yeah. from our list and then I had, totally. A, oh, totally. I had others that were like similar, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, totally fine. <clears throat> my top. Right, you want to hold on. So I can just list them down. just quickly. Uh, no. So well, just for your, your six, your sixth okay. one. I've got five, right, so I'm, I'm, but whatever. Yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna count down and then let's actually let's just do five. It makes more sense. Cool. Because I was just gonna do uh, Terminator two twice, or no, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I could do Terminator one and Terminator two. But yeah, we're good. But okay, how, so, how do you want to yeah, do? Yeah, five is great. Five is great. Yep, five is great. All right, ready? Three, two, one. So. <laughs> All right, what do I do? Do I just lift them? Yeah, just go for okay. it. Okay. Do we uh, do just, a clap? Just say your number five. Just say your okay. number five. Just number five. Uh, it's a weird one, but Midnight in Paris. I've actually never seen that. Never seen I it? I have seen that. That was another, like, didn't know it was a time travel movie. Yeah. watched it, and then I was surprised. Yep. Yep. Well, yep. spoilers. <laughs> yeah. 
that's a it's a cool it's a cool movie i remember liking it a decent amount and then haven't seen it in a long time so i didn't get to engage with it that much but it definitely straddles that line between like the sort of humanism of it and yep. the the procedural aspects of it which is a cool it's 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 very sort of short story-ish in that way of like there's one clear thing that they are trying to tell you in this uh the whole idea of like always like grass is always greener shit and then they mm -hmm. just run with it and that's a cool construct for it yeah and we can if we're gonna go through the countdown i can go we can go back to this or we can talk about it now whatever What's the, what's the way to do that? Uh, I don't think it's higher for any one of us. So no, go yeah, for nobody it. else. No, we're higher, like, so we'll yeah. talk so about I it now. Picked yeah. it, I picked it low on, low on my list on the fifth one because I, I picked a couple that were not your typical time travel movies. I just sort of like thought of the time travel genre like broadly. But I mean, it, I guess it is a time travel one. Like he, the plot is that basically he can go back and he's in Paris with his, with his wife or his fiance and he finds out that he can travel back in time to um, Paris during like the interwar period. It was like between World War One and World War Two when there were a bunch of these American authors who were living in Paris. It was like a whole yeah, really interesting time. Yeah. And it's like it's like Ernest Hemingway and all these like expatriates who were living in Paris during the um, like in, in that period. But it's like basically he goes back in time and he hangs out with like Ernest Hemingway and all these people. So it, it was kind of like it was the human yearning kind of thing, but also like he goes and hangs out with all these people that I'm sure like a lot of people would like love to go back and like hang out with like Ernest Hemingway. Um, and, it, and it's Owen Wilson just like in one of the best roles that I've ever seen him in, like really, really funny, but also like thoughtful and pensive and, and quirky. And so it's a really good, I think also Rachel McAdams might be in it. I'm not sure. <laughs> She only does time travel movies. Yeah, I, I got to Google that really quickly. But yeah, anyway, long story short, it's a, it's a not what you normally think of with a time travel movie, but it's one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite movies. And it, it's also a uh, Woody Allen movie, I believe. So it's one of his kind of like one of the various movies that he's, that he's directed that are pretty good. All right. Nate, what's yours? Your number five. My number five is one that we've talked about on the podcast before, so we don't need to really go into it, but it's Edge of Tomorrow slash Live, Die, Repeat slash that Edge is, of Tomorrow. That is also my number five. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I stayed away from time loop movies because I, I kind of put those in their own category, and I do understand that they are, that they are time travel in a way, but uh, I... Uh, I went with safety not guaranteed for my number five, which is, I think, a better time travel rom-com than About Time. I haven't um, seen that since it came out. Same. It's uh, Aubrey mm -hmm. Plaza, uh, Jake Johnson, um, and Marketplace. Yep. And it's, uh, it's, it's one of those ones where it's like, okay, not sure what this is about, and then it ends up being about time yep. travel <laughs> yeah that's a great i watched that in preparation for this as well because it was on my list of just kind of like a quirky funny like kind of kind of a rom-com or yeah a little bit of a rom-com but it, it doesn't even turn into a rom-com until like midway through the movie yeah. it's, it's more just like it's like a weird investigative yep. journalism movie and that, that's kind of just like about this guy who is just kind of a an out there dude and they're discovering that like okay maybe he's like interesting enough to actually write something about and then it kind of becomes like 
oh, maybe this guy's like actually knows something. Yep. And also Jake Johnson and is one of my favorites. I love in, in just these kind of quirky indie movies. And uh, he plays a piece yeah, of garbage. He's hilarious. <laughs> in and even in like some of the mainstream, like uh, like the new girl, he's great. He's really funny. Yeah. I, I like him. Also, Aubrey Plaza is great. And um, she deserves all of the awards and yeah, everything. That's I wish she was in her. more movies like that. She's great. Have you seen Black Bear? No, I have not. Okay, that's an interesting movie. That that's um yeah, put that on the list. That was a, a 2020. It's an incredible Aubrey Plaza performance and it's got weird like time things oh, going cool. on. Oh, cool. And another guy yeah. is Mark Duplass. I love that guy. He's really good in um yeah. he's been in some shows recently. And I've seen some kind of like weird movies with him. He's really good. Yeah. yeah. Creep is a really good yes. Mark Duplass role. I love that movie. Um, and I mean, like he and his brother Jay are, are big like writer directors in, in the indie sphere. Yep. So, um, yeah, I think they did uh, The Long Dumb Road with uh, Jason Manzukis and I forget the kid's name, but he's the, the lobby boy in... Uh, in Grand Budapest mm. Hotel, um, they they have like a, a road trip movie together, and it's pretty pretty good. Nice. That was too long on on things that were not related to time travel. <laughs> Number four. Where do we start? Uh, you go, Wall. Uh, okay, so number four. This was another outside the box. I picked the, the last two. I just purposely picked kind of weird ones. Mm-hmm. This one is uh, the original, the first Planet of the Apes, and yeah, I had that in my honorable yeah, mentions. And it, which spoiler alert for Planet of the Apes? Uh, the main reason why we didn't do that for this <laughs> podcast is because calling it a time travel movie is the biggest spoiler. Yeah, you can do. that's right, and and it's not like a traditional time travel where there's there's not really any manipulation of time. Basically, what happens is it's like the straightforward theory of time travel, which is that. He goes out into space and he's traveling very, very fast, and he sort of loses control of his of his um, like spaceship. And basically, what happens is that while he's traveling very fast, time is moving more slowly for him versus the whole Earth. So by the time he crash lands back onto the Earth, he, he finds this world. It's a strange land and inhabited, or ruled by apes. <laughs> and and he thinks the whole movie he thinks it's just like this foreign planet and it, it's only at the very end like that final scene where he finds that he sees the statue, statue of liberty Bobby. and it's like that's when you know it's a time travel movie it was like at the very last scene um so yeah one of the best twists i've ever yeah. like that got me so yeah, bad that's right yeah i mean it that is i think the the first like big american movie time travel moment right like that is heralded as the moment of time travel being accepted as like a not accepted but um prominent in american will not <laughs> prominent in american cinema it's got to be one of the yeah. one of the biggest most epic scenes yeah what year was that movie like in my brain it's like 1975 or 1974 let's see I want to say 1960, like even earlier than that, but I could be wrong. It was, uh, it was like I think 2001, it's... starring Mark Wahlberg. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, 68. Oh, 
that's that's earlier. Yeah. So that's yours, uh, Chris. What's yours? Number four. My number four is Primer. Nice. Uh, my number four is a combination of both Back to the Future 1 and 2 because I'm a cheater. Zach, I'm scared about how in lockstep we are. Mine is Back <laughs> to the Future. So I assume it's going to be really downhill from here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, agreeing 100% coming up. with... Oh, okay. Coming up. Great. All right. We'll yeah. get back to it. Cool. All right. Uh, Eric, what is your number three? So my number three was I, another one I chose outside of our list, but is dark and Nate was talking about this earlier, but it's a show and it's just like, it's a really good, like three season. I think it's three or four seasons, like it's three, show yeah. on, on Netflix. It's a German show uh, with us subtitles, but Netflix is getting like really good at doing like very good dubbing. Um, so it's pretty good. Like it's pretty high quality. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great. It's full of just, paradoxes it's like the whole plot is driven by a bunch of weird paradoxes and you can just kind of tell they built the whole plot out from that yeah i i don't want to say too much about it because it's it's a real like as it as it kind of unravels but um i will say that i'm experienced making sort of genealogy diagrams for this this uh show for yeah other people right. watching it for the first time yeah it's it's helpful, um, so hit me up. Uh, it's it's amazing. It's really really great. Um, I actually watched it subtitled all the time, but you do still like the the benefit of that is you yep. pick up um, phrases that they say all the fucking time, like throughout it. So there are certain German phrases that I have like really locked in now that I know because are, they're just are repeated, you are like, you a German Shepherd being trained? Is that yeah, what's weird. going on here? It's it's bizarre, um, but yeah, it very very worth a watch. Really really worth a watch. Nice. Uh, Chris? My three? Yep. Uh, this is my only departure from, like, pure time travel, but I had Into the Spider-Verse. That's, like, the, the multiverse mm-hmm. theory kind of deal, and I couldn't in good conscience put a timeline on here because it's not a very good movie. <laughs> but I, <laughs> No, I, I no it is not. I think those two movies are, are two of the, the few that engage with the, the multiverse idea and timeline to its credit is the only one that really engages with the idea that if you time travel from like one time to another, like the you become French universe is going to be in a different place. So like, you're just going to end up in the middle of space. So I appreciate that. And really, uh, Spider-Verse is my, my placeholder for, for timeline. Yeah. So I'm looking at I'm it now. Simultaneously, I'm simultaneously offended that you got Spider-Verse on instead of me, and I'm also offended that you called it a placeholder. So yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what to do with that. I did both yeah. of those things to attack Well, you. I was just going to say, I, I just looked it up, and it's starring Jake Johnson. <laughs> I'm like, God yeah. damn it. He plays Peter yeah. Parker. He's great in it. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's, one of my fa- uh, it's, my- it's genuinely one of my favorite movies. I just don't think of it as a time travel movie. But, Wait a um, second. Is is Nick Cage in it too? Wait, what the? Oh yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh so it's the, a, yeah, it's an animated. Oh okay. Uh, have you have no, you not I seen haven't. this? I, it's, oh, it's like one of Nate's favorite movies of all time. Like I think you should like very. It's great. It's very it's much genuinely awesome. This. Damn. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of it's star studded for sure. Yep. Yes, yep. it is. Um, my number three is Groundhog Day with small brackets Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Ooh. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, the kind of fix your life over a day um, style movie. I don't think we need to talk up how great Groundhog Day is. Yeah, I think I think, I think we did our, our Groundhog Day bit when we talked about Palm Springs in the Palm Springs yeah. episode. In- incredible, it, Love it's them. almost its own genre at this point. What, what's the yeah. one that's all in the East Village? The the show. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Uh, Russian, Russian Doll. Yeah, Russian Doll is yeah. great. It's like I've I've drank in the bar that the. Uh, the weird Russian den yep. is down in. I've been there a couple times. Yeah. It's a great place. You can watch sports, cheap beer. <laughs> Highly recommend. Um, and then Eric, we're still waiting on your three, right? Your number three. My three. Oh, sorry, Nate's three. Yeah, uh, my three was Terminator Two, which, uh, similar to what we talked about before, would be higher on my list as a. This was an interesting thing between. It, it's coming. It's coming up later. It's coming yeah, up. Later. But 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 only in that. Just to say that, like, I think Terminator may be a a better movie in terms of its time travel, and Terminator Two for me was a movie that I loved so much that it kind of elevated it into the. Gotcha. Movie. But yeah. All right, number two. Uh, Eric, what's your number two? So my number two is Twelve Monkeys, for all the reasons that we've already yeah. discussed. Nice. Uh, Chris. Mine is Back to the Future. I think I, I did yeah. enough speaking of Back to the Future earlier. It's just a... It doesn't try to engage too much with the science of it, and that's that's part of why I don't have an issue with the time travel parts yeah. of it. Uh, There's a wonderful John Mulaney bit, if you want to check it out about Back to the Future. Incredible that is truly John Mulaney. One of the like funniest one of the best. Yeah. Uh, my number two is Terminator 2. One of the best movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have it on my list because you're a monster. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just like because because time travel just like isn't yeah, that totally. big of a part of it. Like it's the it's the construct yeah. within which the movie takes place. But for me, it wasn't like an important time travel movie. It's just an important action movie. Yeah. Nate, uh, my number two was Looper. Oh yeah, my, this was my number one for a while. This yep. is one of my all time favorite yep. movies. It's one of my all-time favorite. It's certainly one of my favorite movies of the last, you know, ten years. Um, yeah, and and I went and rewatched it for this pod, and just I, I so in love with. I rewatched. Of it. I rewatched it as well. I think I'm in love with about seventy percent of it. Yeah. Um, the magic boy. I think I'm less <laughs> in love with. Uh, oh, but about time is fine. <laughs> Uh, that that part takes me out of it a little bit, but um, is Emily Blunt in that yes. too? And is so just, like, good. Time loop oh movie. My God. She's so good. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Daniels is so good in that movie. Unbelievable. Huh. And Speed, I like him in Speed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to rewatch. This and movie. that's it. Um, can we t- <laughs> the last thing I'm going to say about Looper. The fact that they put Bruce Willis's jaw on Joseph Gordon-Levitt for no fucking reason—the prosthetics are no, no, no. It's not prosthetics. It is CGI. It's CGI. Is it? Are you sure? I think I I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, It's so unnecessary and so it's so stupid. (laughs) Just put fucking Joseph Gordon-Levitt. No one cares. He's an old man now. No one's watching that movie and being like, nah, something doesn't check out. <laughs> oh and my it's God. the nose. 
Right. And now something doesn't wait, check wait, out, wait. but it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt's yeah, face. It's, it's Walt yeah. just looking at this for the I first time. I can't not see that. Yeah, uh, they just like sort of like widened his jaw. Oh, it's so, yeah. <laughs> so funny. The and he, best. He talks so weird. The whole one hundred percent. The best part of the movie is when you get the. Uh, when you get the like you see the step by step of Bruce Willis's life like the timeline that he's on and yeah. they literally do the moment of it switching from Joseph Gordon-Levitt to Bruce Willis but it's like he Joseph Gordon-Levitt is gradually losing his hair and then all of a sudden it's Bruce Willis with some hair <laughs> and he keeps going and they're just like well we nailed it <laughs> uh, the funny thing is like anyone yeah, who has funny. seen Bruce Willis in that movie has also seen what Bruce Willis looked like when he was Joseph Gordon-Levitt's age right, in that exactly. movie. Yeah. And it doesn't look anything like, like that. Him. Yeah. All right. We need to move past Looper because we need to end this podcast at some point. We do. Yes. Um, did everyone do their number two? Are we just yep. at number one? Though? Yes. Uh, Eric, what's yep. your number one? Terminator 2 for all the reasons that we've already discussed. It's so good. It was right so up there. So good. Uh, Chris. I think maybe I'm the only one with this on here. Uh, Bill and Ted's oh. Excellent Adventure. Uh, I fucking love this movie. One of my favorites, like all-time classic. And it's a time travel movie in the sense that they are constantly time traveling. And uh, they make no effort to uh, contend with any of the paradoxes or anything like that. And it's totally fine. This is actually a movie I think I saw once when I was young but have never revisited. Um, and think I would love but it's just kind of a blind spot for me. It's it's Keanu at like what you would expect Keanu to be at that age. It's just perfect. Yeah. I mean, it it sounds great. It sounds like the ultimate kind of if I had watched it when you watched it, would have absolutely adored it. It is literally two kids are failing history and they learn that they can go back into we're, time. We're too big of nerds to do that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so they go back into time and bring I, back... I couldn't even fail history when I lived with Walt. Do you think I can fail history when I was younger? They bring back historical figures to join them in their final project. Amazing. It's absurd. Uh, Nate, what is your number one? My number one... Um, argued with myself a bunch about this, argued on multiple sides of this about whether to include this or not, ultimately landed on it. Um, my number one is Arrival. So, oh, yeah. Um, I included it in time loop movies because it yep. is... Uh, like, once, once Ivy gave the permission, yeah. That's really all I needed. Um, yeah. I, I had Arrival in my... Like it was gonna be yep. in my rankings, and I just I, like it's gonna be number one if it's anywhere. So I decided not to. What do it. swayed me on it was I was arguing against including it, and I was trying to point out that uh, it's her consciousness moving through time, but nothing's actually happening. She's just like realizing other stuff, and I was trying to explain how that's not the same because nothing's changing. And then I remembered how the fact that her consciousness is moving back and forth allows her to make a decision in the present based on information from the future. And so that equated enough actual sort of travel and consequence to me to validate it. And then it scored really hard on the, yeah. on the shitter. So it, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, that, that sold me. Um, Eric, I you, just think, you've I seen the movie. Yeah, movie. I've seen it. It's kind of like at the very end, it's revealed that the whole thing is mm-hmm. that these aliens, they can think in terms of like, time excuse me the octopods <laughs> call them by their christian <laughs> that's name that's right 
Hectopods? Fuck. Could be right. Could be right. Hectopods. Yeah, I mean, because it's seven. No, what is it? I think it's hectopod. No, you're right. It's hectopods. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, but she she's a linguist. The whole I remember that being yeah. like this crazy yeah. thing where she is a linguist. She's there to explain their language, and once she understands it, she can see the world differently. But does that give her the ability yeah. to then see into the future? That no, it's not see into the future. It is more like understand time as a non-linear object. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's she's like if Tenet was good, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's able to sort of, ex- which is the way that the whole concept is the conceit is that the aliens are able to exist this way and they're trying to teach humans how to exist yeah. this way, kind of right. Um, so she is able to, um, recognize that she's experiencing every part of her life simultaneously. Oh, yeah, and so it's not so much that she's like seeing the future or seeing the past, it's that those things are all intertwined and therefore can inform one another. Yeah, and, and that's where it are we trans- explaining to Wall of the plot of a movie. Well, I've seen, no, you've seen yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen it. And oh, okay, I did think about including it because it's it's an awesome. But there isn't like like there's actual no tr- there's no traveling. It's more of just like a time. That that was, that was our discussion yeah, too. It, but right. it is one of those great kind of sort of time travel adjacent kind of movie, time theory movies. It's a movie that is tailor made for me. Somebody who is like. Two of my biggest non-academic hobbies of study are theoretical physics and linguistics. Wait, 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 wait. Can we, can we go into that sentence? Your non-academic studies are linguistics? So, yeah, so the, the reason why I started getting interested in that is because I took a Shakespeare class in high school. AP Shakespeare. And that's how I found out about Kenneth Branagh. Um, <laughs> I want off this podcast. I want to, I want to, I want to change hosts. And, uh, while we were learning like the cadence of sonnets and stuff and, and how people studying the, the writings of Shakespeare and other contemporaries, like formed our ability to understand the accents of the time uh, like me understanding for the first time that oh like British people didn't always sound like they currently sound um, and le- learning that that really came into place around the time of the Revolutionary War so people in Northeastern America kind of sound more similar to what uh, English people sound sounded like then than they do now um, some kind of combination of the two um, was really interesting to me and like going going back and like watching a bunch of movies where like british people talk in a british accent in like older films where like that accent wouldn't have existed past then kind of got me into that sort of sphere and then the theoretical physics part is just like the whole time travel thing plus whatever's going on in in arrival like that that's very much my shit yeah um I, I I think we all kind of agree with each other's top choices. They're kind of unimpeachable. So, uh, Eric, honorable mentions though. I had uh, I had Prime. I had Idiocracy. Oh yeah, yeah. Idiocracy is a great. That's another good one. I haven't seen that. I, I that that was one that was on my my watch list. 
a much better movie before the Trump yeah. administration. Yeah, that movie was very big in 2016, or rather, yeah, early 2017. It was like, this is our world now. Yeah. Um, I had uh, Endgame, not because the time travel makes sense, but because I think the use of time travel as a narrative device was really effective as like a way to accomplish what they were trying to. I really liked, and that was a big theme for a lot of these. Um, same with Field of Dreams, which is a movie where like time travel just happens and they roll with it, and it's like very much so not the center of the plot, but I liked what it did. Um, a couple that were like less high profile that I found and watched and really liked were... Um, uh, Your Name, which is an anime um, from, I want to say, 2017 that has a really cool... It's like already a little spoilery that there's time travel involved, but a really, really great thing. Um, and then Time Crimes was uh, hmm. a 2007 movie um, from Spain that is really cool and kind of felt a little bit like a slightly more exciting and cinematic, but probably not as good primer. Yeah. Uh, Chris, do you have any honorable mentions? I already said Idiocracy, uh, Planet of the Apes, Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I have any others. I mean, genuinely, like, Hot Tub Time Machine was a dumb thing I love to watch. Yeah. It It is a absolute mockery of the genre, yeah. but it was fun to watch at the time. I do like it, and it does, it does kind of grapple with some of the ideas of of causation causality and stuff like that yeah it was great uh eric uh yeah the the two that i was thinking of that were kind of like time travel adjacent that we that we liked one was the butterfly effect with um oh yeah with uh ashton kutcher, ashton kutcher yeah, right? that's right and ethan yeah. Supley. and and the butterfly effect like that concept that was like one of the things we learned about in time travel is like the earliest time travel fiction was all about that like there was one short yeah it was a short story by this this uh, writer who talked about like the the whole plot was that this one butterfly that was crushed in the past caused like the the world to change. That's where the butterfly effect mm-hmm. came from. This one short story, um, but the other one that was interesting was Minority Report. I think we talked about that. Oh yeah, we watched we watched that recently. Yeah. We we watched yeah, that together. That's a great <laughs> movie. Just about like it wasn't time travel, but Pre- yes, it is. But seeing, Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. <laughs> I I almost brought it up when you were mentioning uh the the inevitability kind of yep. theories where like everything has already been predetermined for you and like that movie is very much about that where like no matter what you do where you think you're being original with something you're still headed on the same Could they path. ever stop the thing from happening? What is that? Well, you'll have to tune in next <laughs> week to find yeah. out. Why watch watch yeah, the movie. Okay. Um, so I think that it's a bad movie. (laughs) It's so gray. Um, so I think that, uh, that wraps up our time travel episode. Um, thank you. Only three hours. Uh, a a swift pace from usually what we do here (laughs) on ballot. Um, thank you, Eric, for coming in and actually providing the first expertise we've ever had on this podcast. Uh, I wouldn't say expertise, but enthusiasm. There we go. That's what I bring. <laughs> the, the first enthusiasm. <laughs> I don't bring enthusiasm. I, I don't bring expertise. That is, that, is, that is somehow way, way worse. <laughs> yeah. um, and thank you to my co-host, Nate and Chris. 
first time anyone's ever been thanked, I think, at the end of a podcast other than the guest. Yeah, figured, you know, end it nicely. Um, Thanks, man. So I hope, Gabe, you turn in, uh, tune in next week when you host the podcast uh, about heist Eliminating our listenership <laughs> wholesale. <laughs> Well, you're assuming you won't listen back to it. Um, And in that next week, we're talking about Heist. We are going for the movies Heat, Jackie Brown, Ronin, Bottle Rocket, and The Sting. Going a little good movies. Going a little bit more. Three of them heist movies. So we're on the right track. (laughs) You know, we're 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 trying as hard as we can. So you know, let's let's not. Let's not go too aggressive here. So thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you tune in in two more weeks. Bye. Three, two, one. I can't find my mouse.